Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Happy to bring you this guest. I'm trying to work out these intros, guys. So ever since Greg Byrne wrote me that amazing piece of music that I have as my intro music, I, th- I talk about it too much. So I'm sure you guys are getting sick of hearing it because I am whenever I edit. But I'm trying to figure out how to start these podcasts without uh, doing two intros. So, and then uh, my buddy Brett. He's going to be on Thursday. He always does like these brilliant 20-minute intros for his podcast, School Sucks. Don't expect that from me, guys. It's just it's just not going to happen. So anyways, uh, first I want to say thank you to, let's see here, Sweet Meadows. Thanks for your kind, generous uh, review. So I think before when I said it, and I, I, I could not remember so, but I think before when I asked you guys to give me a review on iTunes, I had 11 now, we're up to 13. So that's pretty good, guys. I like I like it going the pause direction. All five stars, really appreciate it, guys. So um, shout out to everyone else. I mean, Rick uh, Broderson wrote me a nice one back in the day. Nick Steck, which I'm guessing is Stay Schulte. Uh, the Burnstead is definitely Greg Burns. Um, so, and there's some other ones too that I don't even know who they are. But uh, anyways, uh, just want to say thanks guys. And if you could still share this podcast with your friends, appreciate it. So shares on Facebook seem to do a lot. So the iTunes thing is fun, but a lot of people, I don't know that that works too. So if you want to share it on Facebook, uh, give me a review on iTunes, whatever you guys can do. I appreciate it. So let's talk about today's guest. So I had a great time talking with John Dowie. Um, was Facebook friends with him? A lot of you, if you listen to Survival Podcast, know who he is. I guess he's he's John from New Hampshire. Um, I only started listening a couple years ago, and I don't even listen to podcasts anymore, guys. Uh, I've just been reading a lot of books, so I can try to keep these episodes interesting for you. Um, so, but man, I had a great time talking to John. What a cool guy! I'm hoping he comes out to uh, a Lumber Squatch event or a Ohio GSD event sometime. Um, cool guy man uh that talk about a guy who's really getting after it and hustling it was inspiring for me to go home from this trip in florida and get my shit together and get on microgreen so uh and he's just a real guy and he's just telling a story so had a blast definitely look forward to having him on the show again so if you guys want to uh if you guys want to follow john's work go to dowiefarm.com um it's uh you know, if if you're in the area, John and I actually talk about. Um, I'm always going to try to do more local sales, so to consumers. So look for that. So go to his website if you're in his area. Sign up for his mailing list. Um, try not to order anything if you're out of state. That makes it really hard for him to get you the product. Um, and I think I think that's it. So so this one there's there were some technical issues. So you're going to hear a little. Uh, Garage Band calls it the rock riff track. Um, so you hear it a few times and then, uh, I had so much fun talking to him that I was like, Hey man, I want you to come back on. We'll make this a big episode. So this is kind of a longer episode. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. So with that being said, uh, enjoy the show, but first got to shout out the affiliates. So if you guys, it is coming, we are coming up on tree planting, tree grafting season, uh, Nature'sImageFarm.com. If you guys go there, you get 10% off. Greg has a lot of great fruit trees. 
Um, he has always, as you know, balking four and fourteen of Comfrey. Uh, but save you get ten, you get free shipping. Save ten percent off with code word sample with any purchase. Um, secondly, go to newfarmsupply.com. Uh, Grant doesn't have a ton of stuff on there. I did talk to Grant, and we're gonna be. It's kind of a secret, so I'm gonna tease you guys. We're gonna be bringing something really cool to you guys soon. Uh, Grant hit me up a few days ago, and uh, so looking forward to releasing that. So that should be pretty cool. And finally, well, no, it's not last but not least. Uh, if you guys want to start a podcast, so you'll see a link for Podcast Blast Off. I'm a big fan of Podcast Blast Off. I know, I mean, I know the owners. Um, they they continue to improve. They continue to listen to feedback to, to make their product better. Um, it's a new company. So, you know, if, if I uh, personally, guys, when I started this podcast, I started on talk shoe and it was a pile of garbage. I tried to create a website. It was a pile of garbage. It's an all in one solution. Um, you can either run a blog off of it. I, I like it quite a bit. It's very secure. Um, that's my, that's my, that's my spiel. Uh, if you guys go to the bottom of the show notes, you'll see actually see a, a little photo of it, and you can click on there. And if you want, I get like a referral or something. I don't know what I get, but it helps support the show. Um, so, and then finally, last but not least, farming season is is coming upon us. Uh, if you guys are interested in learning how to become profitable small scale farmers, uh, I highly recommend Curtis Stone's course. Um, I did. A, I dedicated a whole season or a whole series to it, just doing the, my first season. I got the second season coming up, and I, I got big plans for this season. And as you guys know, but uh, you know, if if you guys are interested and you want to save some money when you sign up, uh, I actually worked it out so you actually can save a hundred dollars if you pay up front for it. Otherwise, there's a second photo with a link below. And that is going to just be for the payment plan. So with that being said, guys, enjoy this show. Hi John. I hey, don't do I don't do normal intros anymore, but uh for anybody knowing this is John Dowie. Uh we became Facebook friends. I liked his posts and lots of uh the lumber squatches and hillbillies and everything here in Ohio. You're all friends with them. So I was like I I saw your YouTube video and I saw your beautiful microgreens sure. and I was like, "Man, I got to get this guy on." But I just hit record. I actually interrupted John in the middle of a conversation. We were talking about paleo, and uh, it was really interesting. So I kind of want you to tell the audience <laughs> because they could go through a similar yeah. thing, man. So basically, you had a doctor. They told you you had type 2 diabetes. Yep. And then you fired yes. him. Yeah, so I walked into the doctor at 330 pounds, and they were like, you're type 2. And I was like, yeah, no surprise there, right? So then they treated it as type two, just firing metformin and whatever they could do, you know, just firing it down my throat, whatever the, uh, you know, the sales rep for metformin wanted them to do is what they did, you know? Yeah. And, uh, after years of just that and my blood sugar essentially being at between, 
you know, and I wasn't eating a hundred percent paleo cause I was doing the 80, 20 paleo thing, you know? So like I'd have a cheat day and whatever, and I wasn't having any real side effects from the diabetes yet. So it didn't really, you know, I was that, I had the whole young and invincible feeling still. <clears throat> and how many so, years ago is this? This, this is, is 20, yeah, 2012, 2011, 2012, 11 might've been the diabetes thing. And then 12, I started paleo. Okay. Um, so I was doing the 80, 20 paleo thing and I was losing weight and, um, they're, trying to treat it with medicine and it's not working. And the medicine was really screwing me up. And, um, I just ended up stopping because the medicine was like just destroying me too. Yeah. And I lost a bunch of weight and the diabetes actually got worse with time. So my blood sugar was hovering between 280 and 350 all the time, no matter what I did. So I could work out like a crazy person. And I'm at that point, I'm down to 230 pounds. So I'd lost a hundred pounds. <clears throat> and, my blood sugar is still a nightmare. So then I ended up getting new health insurance, uh, you know, via a mandate. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I ended up getting a better, a different endocrinology program and whatever. And, um, and it's kind of funny cause my general practitioner still sucks. Like I can't stand her and she gets mad at me when I like ask questions and research stuff on my own. So then I asked her in the beginning, I was like, Hey, are we sure this is type two? And she's like, yeah, you would know if it was type one because you would have had that when you were like five. And I was like, all right. And we wrote it off and moved on. So I get to the endocrinology department. I'm talking to a nutritionist and I'm telling her, she's like, okay, what do you eat in a day? I'm going through what I eat in a day. And uh, it's like, I'm eating like 15 carbs a day. And she's like, this doesn't make any sense that your blood sugar is, you know, 250, 300 all the time and 350 sometimes and you're eating this. She's like, you're either lying to me or there's something else going on. And I'm like, well, I'm not lying to you, you know, so I don't tell you. And she goes, it sounds like you're type one. I'll bring it up with the endocrinologist. And then within a month, they, they have like a huge department where everybody talks and you meet with like five different people. So it's actually a great like system they have. Everybody has their own, own input, you know? Yeah. Uh, they gave me this test. It's called a GAD test, a GAD. I don't know I, the big words. <laughs> I, I used to know what it meant. But, yeah, uh, back I, I in my medical of, days that I don't yeah, know anymore. Yeah, oxy carbolase or something like that is one of the whatever. And um, it uh, they I'm type one. It turns out so they have this adult version of type one diabetes. It's called LADA. It's latent adult or no, yeah, latent adult or no, latent uh, something diabetes in adult whatever autoimmune. That's the A, the second A. So did, I mean, so, so does this run in your family or are you kind of the first? Sort of. So my, I found out my cousin, um, is also on my mom's side. My cousin also has it and they did the same thing with her. Like, so I remember seeing her going through the struggle on Facebook, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. I can't get this under control or whatever. And That's I just, scary. Always, yeah, I just always kept note of it. So she has it too. What it is basically is you just have, you know, you, you have an autoimmune disease where your body's like your pancreas is the enemy, the beta cells, and it just kills it. And it's, so mine works a little still. So I just take like a once a day um, basal insulin at night and I have the other insulin in case I, you know, screw up, but like, I don't really screw up ever cause I can't. Yeah. <clears throat> so also because of all my time spent at 350 blood sugar level, <laughs> I ended up with some peripheral neuropathy in my feet. And so I am like, if I eat anything that raises my blood sugar, my feet just explode. Like it's, they just burn and I get shooting pains and like, it sucks. So, no but so no if you're days for John, 
no cheat days anymore exactly so but if you're out there man and you're like type two you think and you're taking metformin and you're doing all this stuff right and nothing's working for real like you got to get this test it's the test is a joke it's like just literally when you go down for your blood sugar or your blood tests they just do this too yeah and then they're and oh oh my god yeah you're like the number the allowable number is like zero to five whatever whatever it is and mine was like 173 or something that's (laughs) crazy yeah my blood levels have always been good like i've been blessed like my um it's weird like my dad he has like high folic acid or not low folic acid and high blood pressure so it's like so yeah so you have a it's a huge risk for for stroke um yeah so it's I don't know, it's it's interesting like uh my grandpa though like he always had low cholesterol everything he he did have like man he, he loves eating like bread and carbs though he had like a quadruple bypass in it when he was in his i think it's late 70s but a lot of that i think had to do with like i mean he always ate white bread and stuff like that yeah I mean, but well, that's what you learn through paleo is the whole it's a combo. It's like it's not even the Big Mac that's messing you up. It's because the bread with the fat and the love, you know what I mean. I love bread. That's like uh, beer. Beer and bread are like my worst man. Like I could, I could go to like Columbus. Just got like because Columbus is such like a hip Midwestern city. Like we got so, so now like brewer, one brewery was like we had like a couple breweries pop up and they were pretty popular. So now there's forty. And, yeah, that's what that's what New Hampshire did. Same thing. Yeah, and it's but it's, it's all, yeah, and it's so it's like you have so many good food sources. Yeah, but also like it's cool for for guys like us because a lot of those places want microgreens and things like yeah. that. Um, but you know, it for me the struggle was always just. I mean, it, I'm pretty proud of myself now. Like I'm in Florida now, visiting with my dad, and him and I like to we like to you know we like to have fun, eat and drink. And I had yeah. like last night I was proud of myself because I didn't drink at all. He got pretty drunk, but I was just like, no, man, I'm not, I'm going to try to give this up for 90 days. And, Oof. and well, I'm, I'm on, uh, I think I'm on, today's the 16th. So I'm on nice. 17 days without you drinking. Get to like, you get to like three weeks and things get real easy. Yeah, because it's just like, you know? I, I feel so good. Why would I even want to mess with it? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you start to get the, it's the snowball effect. You start to feel better. Hey, John, there's then, some static coming from is there? Yeah. Oh, how about now? Is there still now? A little bit. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. Hold on. Let me let me try and call you right back. Okay. Oh, actually, no, it's good now. Never mind. Okay. I'll let I wonder if out. these uh I wonder if these headphones are wacky. Who knows? Sometimes, man. Sometimes <clears throat> what happens is if you move it all, it will pick up yeah. the, the air. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I did. I looked at my phone. How dare you? No, I'm just it's blowing you. up. Oh, I sent my I sent my microgreens availability list to all my chefs and it's blown up. And then I looked and it's just a group text from the bar I work at too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a complete waste of my time, essentially. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll see. But let's turn this thing off. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, man. So let's get into because uh, you and I seems like I mean eventually I'm sure we're gonna get together and drink beer. But yeah. uh, man, like uh, I want to hear your story, man, because I I see. Uh, I know uh, Greg Burns told me he's come to your gone to your place and he said how cool it was and I've heard like I so I I didn't discover so Curtis Stone told me to listen to the Survival Podcast after yeah. I had him on and I'd never heard of Curtis Stone and I was like I mean I I definitely consider myself a, a voluntarist or anarchist whatever you want to say yeah and um and then I was like holy cow there's all this there's this other community 
of kind of like people like me that I never even knew about. And through them, like, you know, I'm, we, we got the GSD crew and everything. And then I started yeah. seeing, uh, you recommended to me and you looked like somebody that I knew from a long time ago. So we became friends and, you know, just through sharing posts and talking and, uh, I watched your video, man, and it and you know you got a nice little setup there, and I don't have two different of one, and it's pretty simple. But I want to hear the story behind it, John. That's that's always what's interesting. So you, yeah. when did when did you start? We were talking about your health earlier, and when did was that around the same time you started doing your business, or right afterward, or was it before it? No, I was a restaurant manager forever. I, I was I've been in the restaurant business for twenty. No. Uh, four years or something like that um so I, I you know just cooking and i was a dishwasher when i started and all that and then i ended up in corporate training for the ground round so if anybody remembers bingo the clown and peanuts on the floor so that's that place it was good yeah they just did they had some like internal uh accounting issues that put them under um and then i ended up with applebee's and then so at the time that i figured out uh, paleo is actually a general manager for hooters just outside of boston and um, the company I worked for was an awful company, basically. Like the, just a high. There's only a couple people above me, but they were just terrible people. And you know, I acted as a buffer between them and and my staff, which was fine. But that puts a lot of stress on you. Um, sure. So we ran a good, we ran a great business there. And then that's when actually I figured out I was diabetic because my assistant manager was diabetic, and he was like, "You're definitely diabetic, dude." <laughs> I was like, "All right." So we tested at the store or at the restaurant and whatever. So I had, but in 2010, we started Ducks just as a hobby, like or actually really by accident. Um, we walked into a feed store in 2010 right after we bought our house looking to buy a tiller. And um, we the guy had Ducks, and we had been told in New Hampshire that you had to buy 12 Ducks at a time because they had this weird law about they made up a. They basically made up a story that said if you don't buy twelve ducks, they'll die from being cold, right? And uh, that was a law essentially to keep people from second-story apartments in Manchester from having a pet duck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you had to buy twelve, and no one in Manchester was going to buy twelve ducks and keep them in their you know studio apartment. So, it was this bullshit law they had. And I walked in, and the guy had like two ducks, and I was like, "Hey, dude, what's up with that? You can't even sell two, can you?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, if we." The guy said he was going to come back and get them. And I'm like, well, that sounds weird. That ain't going to happen. And uh, he's like, well, if he doesn't come back, I have to kill him. I can't even sell him. Oh. And I'm like, how fucked up is that? You yeah. know? <laughs> like, can uh, I swear on your I can, can I swear on your podcast? Is that okay? Oh, dude, you can say whatever you want. I'm uh, The FCC aren't going to kick my door or anything. No, I'm, uh, not, I'm not that popular, John. You can say whatever the fuck you want, man. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, listen, give me a buzz in a couple days if you're still around. You know, we'll figure shit out. So he calls me like two days later and he's like, I, I can't get rid of them. Do you want them? I can give them away. And I'm like, all right. So then we had two ducks in our bathtub, you know, and you now we're living nine. in an apartment then. No, no, we were, we just bought our house. Okay. Like three months before. So we were absolutely not ready to own poultry yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so then we went to, uh, eventually we grew to, we're doing ducks for eggs. We have 90 ducks, you know? Um, and that's a part of our business. Can you hear my dog barking in the background? A little bit, yeah. Somebody go tell her to shut up. 
You can, go, you can just kick her right on air. We can give a good image of you and animals. No, she's fine. <laughs> no, she'll stop eventually. But anyway, so what is it, 2.30 almost? Yeah, the kids are walking home from school. Oh, that's all good. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. We end up with all these ducks. I was running Hooters. Uh, the regulars thought it was hilarious that I had like two ducks and then eventually had 50, you know, and that kind of thing when I was working there. And then uh, I got fired because of a, essentially – there was a lot of in stuff inside stuff going on that I kind of blew them up on and they found stupid reasons to fire me. Um, so, you so got I was fired done with that. I job. tried another management job and I was real. I realized I was essentially just burnt on that and I wasn't going to put a hundred percent into it. So I just couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. So I said, you know what? I'll go be a bartender. I can always do that. I can make cash. Everything's fine. So I went and became a bartender again. And, uh, I just kind of was. I was listening to survival podcast and Curtis Stone. You heard Curtis Stone yeah. on the survival no, podcast. I, wait, so, so it's are we recording again? Yes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's Luke Callahan, right? <laughs> oh yeah, Luke. Yes. Okay. I screw up those two all the time, but I feel horrible because I learned all this stuff from Luke Callahan, and he's the guy that wrote the book that's like awesome, and it's an instruction manual. Yeah. You know? Like literally, if you can start a business. If you could like focus and read something, you read his book and it's like, this is how you set up a business, up, 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 right down. And you're like, all right. So I just did that. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, awesome, man. That's so that's you literally heard Luke come on. And <laughs> no, then... so Luke came on. Yeah. Luke came on survival podcast and I just was like, actually it was funny. So I saw the headline for survival podcast episode that day on my podcast app. And I was like, eh, that looks, yeah, looks stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I just blew it off. And then, like, three weeks later, I was like, eh, nothing else to listen to. I'll listen to that one, I guess. And I was, like, very reluctant to listen to microgreens. I'm like, what the hell is a microgreen? It sounds like some earthy, crunchy thing that I don't want anything to do with, you know? <laughs> like, it's just, so, a, it's just a, the term for sprouts that doesn't have a negative yeah. connotation. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, we, won't, we don't use the S word around here. No way. So, uh, yeah. So, we, um, so I, I just did the I, – I got the book. Yeah, well, I listened to a podcast and I was like, this is interesting. I'll check this out. And I, um, I bought the book and just kind of read it and whatever. And I thought about it for a couple of days. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go down to like Agway here and buy some seeds and like some flats and whatever. And I had like a stupid old shelf and I had a couple of shop lights already. <clears throat> and I just set up this like makeshift piece of junk in the living room and my fiance comes home from work one day and she's like what's that and i go ah, i'm just trying something out don't worry about it <laughs> like so they started growing we did like sunflowers and broccoli and we failed at like basil and i did some peas stuff like that right away right yeah all just crappy seeds from the store you know whatever and it all started growing and this is all in your and living room right yep <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I so she worked at this like high end uh, oyster bar in Newburyport, Mass. Right, and Absolutely, yeah. so she we grow it, and then I'm doing a little research on the stuff, and I'm like, hey, your like restaurant might be interested in this stuff, but you should take some of this to them and just see what they have to say. And her chef was like, this is amazing. You need to backdoor this stuff around this town, you know. And I said, all right. Like it was funny because the time we're selling duck eggs, right? We're probably selling. I know we're probably getting 50 duck eggs a day in the summer, like at peak time. Right. So we were selling duck eggs on Craigslist and whatnot. We had like one restaurant, you know? So she takes the microwaves down, they get excited. Whatever, and I go, all right, I'll, 
I'll set up like a bigger shelf. So like one Home Depot plastic shelf with like two more lights. We'll spend like a hundred bucks, you know, and I'll order some seeds. And if we can make like a hundred dollars a week extra, that'd be awesome. Like that was my big master plan at the time. Right. <laughs> so I was like very, very excited about adding a hundred dollars a week and, revenue to the farm that wasn't even a farm really or nothing it was nothing it was duck eggs on craigslist you know and um basically that was april that was actually so the day i did the podcast with jack about uh making money with duck eggs um i said yeah i'm gonna go out now and go market some of these microgreens some of these chefs and see what happens and that was so that was day one was april 2nd i think or first <clears throat> and then by june we were delivering somewhere every day because we didn't have it organized yet. We didn't expect it to go that way. And we had, I think 10 restaurants on board and we were doing a couple hundred bucks a week, 300 bucks a week in sales, something like that. And, um, I was like, what the hell? Like, this is crazy. You know? So we added another shelf, you know, we added more lights. We started buying more seeds, different varieties, trying different stuff. Like, um, you know, I couldn't plant in my kitchen anymore. So <laughs> I had to like go, now it's summer, so I just went outside on the picnic table and I'm planting outside and I'm like, the ducks are there and the river's there. Everything's wonderful. And um, we grew that to, so by last May, we grew it to, uh, we were pretty much doing, we were never doing under 800 a week in sales. Um, and we were almost always doing 1,000. And uh, we were at 20-something, 23 or 24 restaurants. And, um, and we were just you- cranking and, and, and you're mainly, so you're still mainly just growing the, like the major growth, like, so, so pea shoots, radish. I saw a lot of radish, man. Cause I know. Yeah, we do. Like today our list is pretty, yeah, we grow a ton of radish. So like, cause I, I do a blend that no one does really like, I mean, I don't care if anybody does it. Like I'll tell you what it is, but, uh, the pro, I, 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 it. my competition is the produce company. So I do whatever yeah. I can to be, you know what I mean? So I do like the, the produce company will sell you. Uh, what do they call it? Rambo, red Rambo radish or whatever. Um, and they'll sell you daikon and it sucks. So I did this crate. Like, I'm like, I'm going to grow these five kinds of radish. One's per, you know, purple sango and China rose and hong bit pink radish, daikon and green stem. Right. Yeah. And sometimes I grow white, uh, white icicle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just blend them, but I go heavy on the purple, heavy on the pink. And then I mix the other ones in, you know? Yeah. Cause they want that <laughs> color. Yeah. And it's, beautiful stuff right and we sell that at a premium because what i try to do is i try it's easier to grow and easier to handle and the shelf life's better so i try to move that instead of the rainbow mix which is like you know tedious <laughs> so and so so for the other radish i mean so for me radish usually and according to you know luke's book and and everybody it's it's pretty much about a week's worth of shelf life are you seeing the yep. same thing okay I get, well, no, I get more of the rat. My radish is good forever. I feel like it's, it's almost bad for my business. Um, my radish goes like, I won't sell it if it's more than three days old. Okay? Yeah. And then, oh my God, my dog's going nuts. Oh, you're fine, man. Everybody, yeah, if, please forgive, me. please forgive me and John <laughs> for the dog, but uh, me and John have been trying to make this podcast happen. He got sick and yeah. then we've had technical difficulties today, so. I yeah, think what you're saying is I'm getting a lot of this podcast, John. So keep yeah. going. <laughs> well, we had, she's locked in today until I decided to let her go out because we had three feet of snow and she decided she realized today she can jump the fence. Man, so, I forgot how the East coast still has a ton of snow today. Oh God. We got three feet last week and 10 inches last night. 
We yeah. haven't, man, in Ohio, we haven't really gotten shit. And I'm in Florida now, so it's 81, so I don't have that oh. problem at all. We'll just rub that in. I don't remember what that is anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so um, our, our radish, we're getting places that get two weeks out of it, um, or maybe a little longer sometimes. Um, I won't sell it if it's more than three days old. I try to only sell stuff that I cut that day. Yeah. Uh, but with the, the radish is a strange animal because it's like, it's ready today. It's got to get cut today. It's Wednesday, and yeah. I sell it on Friday. So it doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, you know. But then my restaurants are still getting at least ten days out of it, and I guarantee seven days when I deliver. Okay. Uh, and then they uh, they always get more, like about ten, you know. So hang on one second. No problem, you, bud. She doesn't really care about the ducks, but she will kill anything that jumps over that fence. <laughs> so it works out, you know. Yeah, it's but, interesting. I uh, uh I I know um the Fogels, they have a like a St. Bernard Great Pyrenees mix. And they yeah. said she just when she was a puppy, she just killed every single one of their birds. And now she uh, now she like has a certain area of their property yeah. that nothing fucks with. And they don't even wow. cage their birds anymore. So Yeah, I just um with her, she came from a long a breeding history on a farm in Greenfield, Mass, of like uh, these uh, livestock guardian Pyrenees that were guarding sheep and whatnot. So she was pretty, um, you know, pretty just bred into her, you know. Yeah. And then uh, I, I managed to not train her correctly, essentially. So she's a house dog that doesn't kill the birds, that will kill anything that steps onto her property. <laughs> like she took a skunk to the mouth last spring, uh, oh, trying wow. to trying to get it because it was inside of her fence. Yeah, it's like she's like, nope, that ain't happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, guys, yeah. That, you guys put that? her? Did you dip her in tomato sauce, or what did you do about the? No, smell? I, I, I did. Uh, just uh, what was it? Baking soda peroxide and Dawn. Five. I had three five-gallon buckets of that, and I just dumped them on her on the deck, yeah. and then just uh, like scrubbed her, and then rinsed her, and within a few days it was done. And the worst part was her throat, though. She took that spray right up her mouth. Oh wow! She bit it right on the ass. Was she, did, she, did she kill it? No, it got away. I think when it sprayed her right up the throat, she, <laughs> she <laughs> let it go. I, had a, I actually had a shot at it, and I didn't take it because um, I wasn't – well, I mean, I guess I kind of had a shot. You know what I mean? Like, it was like I had an 80% shot at it, and I was like, eh, yeah. I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to miss. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and it, then it got away, but I don't think that thing's coming back. I haven't seen it since, so. No, I take think, a bite on the ass. Usually yeah. It discourages. She, the week before, she was – going nuts in the morning like 5 a.m in like this june yeah and um uh, i go out and i'm trying to get her to shut up because i figured it was just somebody walking by or something or driving to work or she barks at a lot of things yeah she won't stop and she was chewing on the fence and foaming and i'm like wow and i got out there and i looked and she had a coyote on the other side of the fence trapped in in between two sumac trees and i couldn't get away <laughs> <laughs> and she was just like anything to get to that thing, you know, like and it ended up getting away. Obviously she couldn't get over the fence, but it was, I'm like, Hey, good dog. Coyotes <laughs> won't bug you, man. That's good. Yeah. That's why we have her. So, you know, yeah. But anyway, uh, so anyway, so your radish mix. So, oh yeah. Yeah. So your chefs so the, are saying that, cause I know with China Rose, um, same thing. Like I know pea shoots, I can, pea yeah, shoots seem like they'll last forever, but they, well, to I, me, they I taste have, like shit. I prefer the radish personally. Yeah, so I grow tendrils. I only grow tendrils. I don't know if that's what you mean when you say shoots. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, well, usually it's, I just call it 
like yeah. radish shoots. I mean, that's just another. It's another oh, okay. term for sprout for microgreens yeah. too. I never say sprout. I just say whatever. Anyway, yeah. But with a pea around here, the produce company sells pea shoots, and they don't have the frills. You know. Okay, yeah. So I don't like. I just say tendrils. I always. Oh no, no, I don't sell shoots. I sell tendrils. So I want the chefs to know I sell the stuff that actually looks nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I had a chef that threw away on Tuesday. He showed me pea tendrils that I delivered to him on January sixth. And today is that was that was Valentine's Day, so he got twenty something days out of those. Like it's nuts, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, and the sunflower does the same thing. So those those are like long shelf life items: the radish, the peas, and the sunflower. And um, they yield like crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do, and they they're easy to grow, which is nice. Um, the the sunflower, man, like sometimes you just get seeds that just ugh, like it's a nightmare. Like sometimes you get seeds where the poles don't fall off, they don't grow right, they'll grow in like they don't grow evenly. And then sometimes you just get seeds that are like you just you could try to screw them up and you can't, you know. Um I've had good luck with Mountain Valley sunflower seeds. Um I've had some other companies where it hasn't been so good. And then you gotta be careful with those too, because you'll get these gray stripes and you'll get like not black oil sunflower seeds sometimes. You'll find something real cheap on some weird website, and you'll be like, Oh, cool. Look, these are only like three bucks a pound. And it's you know, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. Or it's the gray stripe. And it's like they I grew them because I didn't know any better and they tasted they taste like chlorophyll. They're awful, you know? Yeah. You have to just make sure you're getting right. So I just buy from Mountain Valley now with sunflower seed and I just don't deviate from that. Well, they had some weird uh, things going on at their site for a little bit because I got my seeds there too and I, I loved them. I did buy some pea shoots and maybe that's it was doing this weird thing, and maybe that's what you. It was like kind of. It wasn't growing normal, like they yeah. would flail out. That was the only bad thing I had, so I just use it as expensive cover crop. Um, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of that because we try stuff and. Yeah, but they, <laughs> I, they had some weird shit going on at their website, and then it's like because they're they also own Sprout People now. And yeah, they, they own uh, they own Handy Pantry, I think. Right, Handy so Pantry all- too. Yeah. Yeah, that Handy Pantry is like some mushrooms. They have a mushroom site under their world. They have the uh, growingmicrogreens.com was them. Um, all kinds of. Then they have a, and yeah, the Sprout people. And then they have like um, some other Sprout website for actual Sprouts, which I don't even get into. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like, uh, Luke, uh, Luke's about to start a seed company. Well, he started a seed company. I don't think, I don't know if we can buy from yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, last time I talked to him, you said he was going to get into it. And I said, man, that seems like it's a lot of uh, paperwork. <laughs> yeah, he's been looking at He has, like, that obsession with seed, though. And he, yeah, like, that's why he started Seedwise. And he, like, I think he, he didn't, he wanted to keep it small. And then I think he realized that it's just, you know, yeah, you, it, gotta, you have to you, gotta, you have to do mass volume in that business, I think. Or maybe he figured out a way. I, I got to talk yeah, to him again. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I'll call Mountain Valley and go, and this is important for people growing microgreens. No, if you get seeds and you're trying everything and they're not growing right and you're adjusting everything on your end, don't be afraid to call them and go, hey, these seeds are not working for me, you know? Because I call them all the time and I'll, if I get a problem and after I've narrowed down every other variable, right, which is a thousand things, but, you know, your temperature and your humidity and your, are you overwatering or underwater, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I get a weird soil problem. Well, no, nothing else is having a problem. So it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so narrow everything down. And I'll call them and go, have you heard anything about this? And they're like, no, nobody really calls me. <laughs> like, and every once in a while they'll go, oh, yeah, we knew those were bad. And I'm like, and you weren't going to tell me? <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Um, but I, they'll just turn around and send you new stuff and tell you to keep that. And 
So they're selling PCs for like a, what do they add? I think if you get a lot, you get like a buck fifty a pound or something. I usually I buy like I try to buy uh, like four fifty pounds if I'm going to do it. Yeah, because you make. Yeah, I I'll mean, it, it just makes it a lot more. Um, then you yeah. get then you're down to like, you know, a dollar a tray that you have invested yeah. with soil and yeah. everything else like that. And that's the thing is like I'll go like I'll get peas from Johnny sometimes and I'll call them and just deal with them and go, hey, if I get three hundred pounds, will you do? You know, and like it works out. Um, okay, P tendrils. Yeah. Okay, so you'll call. Uh, you'll call Johnny's. Yeah, I'll call them and just give, see what they'll give me for a deal. You know, and just like if I buy three hundred pounds, they'll they'll hook me up. That kind of a thing. So, you know, I just do that in the spring because we're gonna sell a ton of P tendrils in spring and summer and fall. So in the winter, I'll I'll just carry fifty pounds. But, but yeah, so you can get it down to, you know. I don't even know. I think it gets only 80 cents a flat in pea tendril seeds. It's, you know, and then my soil cost is pretty low. So well, what get, do you, what do you do for soil? Cause I see like uh Chris throw and Curtis, they yeah. talk about doing this mix. And every time I did it, man, I would just get like a, uh, I'd go to like a, a grow shop and get yep. just that soil that has a little white shit in it and everything. And yeah, I just perlite, use yeah. that for like, yeah, the prolite. And it's like, you know, I, for the longest, for the longest time, I was using Fox Farm Happy Frog. It's just expensive, up. man. Yeah, well, I got a deal, though. So oh, you, gotta, you did? Okay. If you're doing this, you got to go. If you're going to do this and make money, you got to go work deals. So, like, my feed store here in town, they, <laughs> they deliver to me, and they actually charge me less money because they deliver, which is, like, badass. Um, so, you know, you just I committed to the guy. I said, I'm going to buy the whole pallet if you get it. What will you do for me? And they're getting it for, like, seven, eight bucks a bag, all right? So I was getting it from him. I think it was like eleven fifty a bag of uh, happy frog, and then now so I'm doing a hydroponic watering system with soil, right? So I'm okay. bottom water. I'm filling flood or doing ebb and flow tables or filling flood tables, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, so I had to cut that soil fifty fifty with perlite because it won't drain if you don't. So I get bags of chunky perlite for I get four cubic feet for twenty five bucks, which is a good deal everywhere. Everybody else pay thirty thirty five for that. Yeah. And then I. Um, I get bags of two two cubic foot bags of soil for ten fifty now because I switched to a more local company, um, and then I think that puts my cost per tray at like seventy five cents or something for soil. And then that's why I, do you just mix it, it in together? Like, do you have like one one bin? You mix it all together, and then yeah. you then you yeah, I got a trains? bin. I actually just did a video on that. I think I posted. Yeah, so I do. I have a five gallon bucket. I dump half the. I dump a five gallon bucket full of perlite in the big, you know, big bin you get from Tractor Supply, the big plasticky uh, stock tanks that are like thirty or forty bucks. Um, and I have it on a ro- a forty dollar rolly cart from Harbor Freight, <laughs> right? Um, I dump in five gallons of per, or, yeah, five gallon bucket of perlite, half the bag of soil. I mix it, and then I just do that again because it's easier to mix half and half. Yeah. And then I just. I scoop that into trays. It's just make you know it's easy. It's one step. It, it sucks that I have to add a step, but it's way easier than watering, hand watering stuff. Yeah, because you know? I was trying to do bottom watering from just like another tray. And yeah, I tried that for a while, and it overwaters. Like it's got to be fill it, and once like you like so basically once it's hard to explain because you have overflows in your fill in your flood tables. And uh, so I'm like, I'm not someone that knew anything at all about growing hydroponic anything before this. Like, I'm like, I don't know anything. So like, you have these overflows and you set your overflow where you want it. What I do is the, when the overflow starts to overflow, 
you're at probably the trace three quarters of the way up with water, right? Up yeah. the side of the of your flaps. Okay, your actual flaps. And I use the one inch flap. So it hits three quarters of an inch up the flat. And the minute it hits there, I shut the pump off and it drains out. So it's pretty fast. And you have to have a fast-ish pump, right? So you want it to fill, it's about three minutes total, two and a half, three minutes, and then you're just done. So if you take that, what you're doing with a, a solid deep bottom tray probably, yeah. and just filling and just setting a microgreens flat into it, yeah, it, it's, it's probably in the water for too long. And I was doing that here, like if I had something, I like when I was at home here and I was top watering with the freaking sprayer at the sink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I think back to those days and it like makes me suicidal. So, like, well, I have a hose like in my yeah. basement. I just have a hose connected to, um, like I just basically, we did a, Joel came up with my buddy, Joel came up with the idea. You take like a, like a, basically what you do, like when you'd split a hose, like in your backyard, we just stuck it on like the cold water, um, yep. valve and spraying it that way. But it's like, man, there has to be a more efficient way. Like I hate inefficiency. Yeah. Yeah, actually, so Brad Davies basically came up with this. It's like I didn't come up with it because I didn't know anything about it. Um, do you know Brad? Yeah, I'm friends with him on Facebook. I yeah. I haven't interacted with him. We like each other's posts. I'm at like where we were. I'll probably try to get him on the show too because he's Great. he's yeah, not too he's far just, from me because I, I mean he's in Michigan, right outside Detroit. So. Yeah, yeah, he's a great interview too, and he's like, he's good. So he's a he's quail and like he's whatever. He knows a lot of stuff, but a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, so he uh, he's like, you got to get these flood tables, dude, and just do it that way. And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so so I went out and spent $1,500 on flood tables, <laughs> right, on a whim. And uh, at that point, you have to make it work, you know? Yeah. So the first time I used them, I didn't cut the soil. And I, I called them, and I'm like, so I had a real busy week coming up. We were going to do like $1,200 in sales, and we were still in the house. And I killed all my stuff by overwatering it like that. And I called him freaking out. I'm like, uh, dude, this isn't going to work, you know? And he's like, well, you can't just use regular soil. You got to do something with it. I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know this. So then I went on the search for perlite, whatever. Once we got the perlite involved, it was one thing. I just got the perlite, mixed it. I think I did 40, 60 the first time. And then I tried 60, 40, whatever, 60 perlite, 40 soil, and whatever. I ended up at 50, 50 and just called it a day, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's great. Because if I had known about the perlite mixing into the soil at the time, even when I was top watering, because I was getting a lot of damping off still and stuff like that. Um, I would have cut my soil with perlite even back then because it just really aerates the soil. So you get less damping off and less issues with your, with your growth. Um, and it's, it's, it's the same cost as my soil. So it's like I could plant, if I could plant pure perlite, it wouldn't matter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's the same price for me. You know, I wouldn't, but you know, um, so it's 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 a good like uh, I don't know it's aeration so like obviously if you have anaerobic soil you have issues so if you if you really can aerate the soil like that you know why wouldn't you and I had I don't know I just when I was doing it here in the house I just I get damping off and I was you know trying to figure out if it was seed or if it was soil or did I overwater or is it too cold in here or is it too hot in here is it too humid like there's all these factors you know and um, you know I'm in a house with no air I don't have air conditioning. And uh, it did, for a while, I didn't have a dehumidifier because I just didn't know a lot of this stuff. And we were just trying to truck it along and making it work, you know? Yeah. Um, but the perlite thing was like, I look back at that and I go, oh, it's great. Because for a while, I was also still top watering stuff because I didn't have enough room in my flood tables. And I even with the perlite, I was like, this is awesome. You know? <laughs> like, 
So do you still do you still run your microgreens out of your house, or did you did you went, go and get a commercial location? Yeah, back in May we outgrew the house, and I said, all right, it's time. So she has a route on the coast, like Portsmouth and Newburyport and stuff like that. And uh, my route's a little inland here. So um, my fiance does all this with me, by the way. Also, that's awesome, man. A huge part of it. Like without her, I would just just no way, you know. I think that's uh, like the perfect kind of business, though, man, for like a married couple to do it together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it really because if you have the right partner, I mean, like it brings a different she brings a whole different dynamic to it. You know, she's the pretty face, you know, when we show up to market, it isn't me, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know we show up, I can talk, she can stand there and smile and look good and like, and whatever. And, and obviously she adds the conversation as well, but like, you know, and when I forget something, she throws that in and it's perfect, you know, and it works out well. Power and, couple. Yeah. And we were both, we're both in the restaurant business. So we have been for years. So that helps too. That's a big part. So like Luke talks about, the chef intimidation factor. And I was just like, what's that? <laughs> you yeah. know, like I just roll in and like, Hey man, what's going on? It's and usually like, for me, man, it's more annoying. Like trying to get in touch with chefs. It's like, yeah, I, I just show up, man. I, that's I don't, what I think I got to do. Yeah. I mean, I know that's what I got to do. The tricky thing is like right now I've been trying to do a lot of this stuff without any product for like the season. And it's like, they don't get yeah, a fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? you have My, that's my, I'm, I'm actually, I started a book on this on marketing to chefs. I'm going to do an ebook on it. And uh, I can tell you the, the main thing is you have to show up with enough sample product for them to be able to use it. Yeah. Like a couple of days at least and see it on their food. Um, and you have to, you have to do that because you, you have to be able to take an order that day, you know, yeah. um, because if you show up with nothing or not enough and then you can't take an order that day and you can tell them it's going to be a couple, they just don't take you seriously. They're like, I can get it from the produce company tomorrow. I don't need you. Yeah. So you got to be able to come through and be consistent. And that's, I think the big thing is even if you're only delivering one day a week and you're like, I'm going to deliver on Wednesdays, you got to be able to like, we deliver Tuesday and Friday and we haven't missed a Tuesday or Friday delivery day in two years. So it's like, we just, that's what we do. You have to, you know, like if you don't, cause think about it, the produce company shows up every day if they want it to, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. so you gotta, gotta beat that, you know? And, and, and then if there's other people in your area growing greens, you got to figure out how to beat them too. You know, yeah. so that's not usually as hard, but, <clears throat> but it happens. I mean, we have, we just had somebody crop up around here, but I don't know. Not worried about it. They're overpriced. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's Whatever. a, that's a common thing, man. There's a lot of people, they come in they try to undercut, but then they, yeah, don't, crunch. they don't crunch numbers. So then they don't stay in business long. And then yeah, we, keep going. Sorry. Go oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, there's the people that charge too much and then they don't get a lot of business because they charge too much. So they go under. So yep. you just got to ha find that happy medium. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You got to come in, you got to beat the produce company and then you got to provide the value and the service and the product and you're good. You know, and it's like, it's, it's, it's all, it's any business, you know, really, yeah. <laughs> it's that, you know, I mean, but yeah, so we're back to, we're at commercial space now since May because her route blew up out on the coast and, um, I was like, there's no way we can handle this in-house, and I can't add to the system. We don't have room. So, And our, we bought a house with a basement that is dirt. Okay. And it wasn't going to go in the basement. The, the price tag on getting the basement fit, like, done with a floor was, like, eight grand, and that's with me doing a lot of the work. And it's like, this isn't going to happen. I was, get, I was basically down and out health-wise, you know, for the last – I'm just starting to really recover in the last couple of months, you know? So 
digging out half of a base because half of it's crawl space digging out that much dirt by hand and then leveling off rock and stuff and then having some guy come and pour concrete wasn't gonna happen <laughs> so that makes sense so we, man yeah so we heard we searched high and low for a commercial space so we lucked out and we found this place that this guy had come back from world war ii and built this business for his family on his land and he added so we had this big shop and they they rent shipping containers and stuff it's like a million things going on there and uh they just decided to add a second level to the building and rent it out to like it looks like they rented it to lawyers in the 80s because it's all wood paneling and stuff <laughs> right so it was the right price it's uh 800 square feet for 500 something 520 or something a month and uh it's got ac and heat so i can kind of climate control even though it's all electric so it's kind of pricey so I, i'm very frugal with that um, but it gave us a, and it's got, you know, it's got its own bathroom and a separate little office area. So it worked out nice. You know, like I got a, what do I have right now? Six, seven, eight, 12 or 14 of the fill and flood tables going to hold eight flats a piece. So I had that, and then I have three racks that roll around with lights, like the old, you know, the regular, if you're doing it at your house style, but I put wheels on them, um, that, uh, holds. I want to say each one holds 36 or something like it's 24 or maybe it's 30, but I have a lot of capacity now, which is nice. That's really good, man. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of capacity. I just need to get, get going with it, man. Personally, yeah. like I got so burned out trying to do this with my full-time job Oh yeah. before I was gracefully, uh, downsized and, uh, it, I just got so burned out and now I'm finally like, it's weird, man. It's like, for me, I need like this, uh, it's going to be a big excuse for every, all my listeners. So, but it's like, I needed time to like, just process my big ass failure from last year. And it's yeah. like, it wasn't even like a failure because like people didn't like my product. It was like, I, uh, I had some humidity issues and I couldn't get my stuff to germinate and everything was just like piling and piling and piling. And I was just like, I got to throw the towel in this season and come back. Yeah. So it's, uh, Talking to you, John, it makes me want to go back home from uh, to Ohio and just get my shit going, man. Get all my trays washed. Uh, right. I hate it. I hate fucking washing trays. That's like my biggest. Yeah, I did that last night till five a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to open a vein when I was done, man. I was like, all right, I have to wash trays tonight. And like I have five hundred trays, so I'm like, <laughs> I get to the point where I have done. Yeah. Like I can't. I have out of any. And I'm like, I have to plant tomorrow. I'm going to plant 80 flats. So I'm going to make myself wash like 150, you know? Absolutely. Oh, it's horrible. So I, I have like a two more fill and flood tables that are four by four, right? That I plant on. So I get 16 and then I stack them three high. So I get that. And then, and then I'll plant like other herbs and stuff and just throw them on a shelf. That's um, awesome, man. But I, so I put the trays in there and I spray them with the hose. And the power, most powerful setting I have, there's water flying all over, but whatever. So I spray them off, and then I just quick wipe them in the sinks with a bleach towel and, and with water with bleach. And I'm just like, all right, good enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like I just, that's the way, it is the most tedious thing is washing trays. Well, and I think that's why I was having, I, I mean, I think it was, uh, I mean, I had radish issues, and I think it's because it got too hot. And everybody, I had this order to fill. The sun shoots came out great, and the radish just fucking didn't. 
And I'm like, wow. this doesn't make sense. And then yeah, radish just trucks right along usually. But I think it's because I it was too hot. Like I had it in my hoop house when they were, yeah. or the the or the trays were dirty, man, too dirty. Like I didn't wash them good enough. I'm start, I'm starting to doubt myself, not myself. That's the wrong way to say it. <laughs> I'm starting to doubt um, the the trays being as much of an issue as people make them out to be a little bit. Because I look at it and I go, like, so if I have a tray and it just sits out and it gets it's got some dirt residue in it and it gets dried out sitting there is what really the same dirt <laughs> yeah what the hell could possibly happen there yeah it's not like it, i'm not talking about like root mass build up it's just like there's some dirt and some perlite on this thing that dried out like yeah it's, it's probably fine before i knew anything about washing trays um and i started doing it because i was having issues with mold and it turned out it wasn't the trays but i just kept doing it to be safe um i would just like brush them out if i had to yeah spritz them with bleach water before I planted. <laughs> like, that's all I did. I had a pump spray and I just spray everything with bleach and just move on. Um, then I learned about like, biofilm or something and all this and whatever. And um, I think Luke or Curtis, one of them, they pressure wash them. Yeah, I had a I had a pressure washer and that's what I did. I just sprayed them with my power washer. Yeah, and uh, my, I left it on and... Somebody took the hose out of the pressure washer without turning it off. And, oh, it, was, God. and it was mainly my fault for not turning it off. And then yeah. the pump burned out. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Free electric pressure washer. I was like, motherfucker. But, right. You can find another one. It's yeah. Sure. John, welcome back to our continuation for our brief. Uh, it's going to be a little do 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 in the podcast, but people won't know that we actually waited a whole week to continue the conversation. So <laughs> I just said, how was your week? And you said, well, you yeah, need to keep going. It yeah. Was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was hectic and busy and I just, I don't stop working. It seems like, but uh, I figured out about myself that if I have a day off, I need to schedule what I'm going to do because if I don't, then I just sit around and I'm unproductive and I, uh, it makes me feel like shit, frankly. <laughs> like, so like if I'm just a lump on the couch for even four hours, I start to uh, have like a level of self-loathing that creeps in. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, that's easy to do, especially when you get in like this productive mode. Uh, you don't like sitting around, but you do, you do have to schedule yourself time just for you. Like it's an important yeah. thing to do. Like I've been, Yesterday I didn't really do too much. I just my plan was just to hang out with my dad, and we just we just watched movies and shit because it was his one day off, and I did like yeah. all of his shit that he normally has to do on his one day off a week down here. Like I just yep. did it for him during the week so we could just hang out. And uh, so yeah, man, I th I think the that's important though. It's easy to become a working workaholic when you're working for yourself. Um, I don't know. It's not necessarily a bad thing, though. You just have to not hate yourself for for giving yourself time. Yeah, it's like it, it is. It's funny. Last week I said that I go, oh, this is that workaholic thing they always talked about, and I always used to say, people would go, oh, he was a workaholic, and I'd be like, ah, whatever. What's wrong with that? <laughs> you know. And now I've figured it out. Like, uh, it's because when you're a workaholic, you can't just do something for yourself and be cool with it. Yeah. Like. It, meaning when it's something meaning like nothing you know what i mean like you can't just do i'm gonna have complete downtime and do nothing that's my problem is if i have complete and utter downtime where i'm like i'm gonna binge watch the office for three hours you know 
like when I'm done with that, I'm like, oh, what did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> like that was such a waste of time. Like, you know, I could have been doing, and that's where, that's what it starts. I could have been doing, and then there's this list of stuff, you know? Yeah. And uh, if I plan it, like, so when I go to visit my parents in upstate New York, we just sit around and talk all day and that doesn't bother me. But if it's just me, I'm like, ugh, enough. Or even like with the wife, I'm sitting around. Like I had, I had this in my head schedule wife time last night. And so <clears throat> yesterday on my day off, I was helping, well, kind of helping. I was building a website for my, the bar I part-time at. Yeah. And uh, so I spent the majority of the day doing that, which to me was not working for me somehow in my twisted thoughts. And <laughs> at eight o'clock, I was like, all right, I'm going to go spend some time with the wife. And we just sat on the couch till like 12 watching TV and ate dinner. And then I was sitting there at 12 going, all right, I've been watching TV for four hours. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, I just got to do something else. <clears throat> oh, that's good, man. I mean, so how, how much do you work at that bar part-time? Well, I went, um, geez, I thought, so I, I was in the restaurant business for since 1995, so like 22 to 23-ish years, right? Yeah. And I thought back in, geez, the spring when I said, hey, listen, I can't have any scheduled shifts anymore. Like, I need to be done with scheduled shifts. Yeah. Um, and that was my, that bar was my transition out of management. I think we talked about that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, there were other bars, too, but this one I actually made money at. So um, I transitioned through that bar. And then in, in the springtime, I was like, all right, I just don't have time. I got to not have scheduled shifts. I can still fill in, though. Like, because the owner's a really good guy. And I was basically like, he, he said, you know, can you still be on the bench? And I was like, sure. Like, whatever. But I walked away from a shift, I don't know, a few weeks after that saying, wow, I think this might be it. Like, I may be, this may be for the first time since I was 15 that I am not in the business, you know? And it was really weird to me, to be honest with you. And, um, uh, clearly that wasn't the case <laughs> whatever so now i just i technically just fill in like i work a shift temporarily on mondays for like a few weeks here and um i just pick up when some one of the other one of the girls i'll say because i'm the only guy um one of them needs a uh a day off or something they'll you know they'll text me and ask me and whatever so and it comes in handy here and there you know <clears throat> like when cash flow has been a little tight lately because i have some accounts that aren't paying their bills on a timely fashion <laughs> so <clears throat> which brings up a whole another topic i guess right that, that's what uh yeah I I, i've heard i've heard curtis talk that. yeah curtis talks about that yeah. quite a bit like, it was with you right yeah he was talking about how restaurants are a pain in the ass as far as payment goes and how the supermarkets are great right yeah on your podcast yeah so that's kind of i don't have as many problems with that i just have a handful that let it build up to the point where they owe me like five, 600 bucks. And then I'm like, Hey, fucking pay me. <laughs> like, what the hell? You know? Yeah. So, and, and the problem is when you have two or three of those and you like need to pay the mortgage, um, you know, that's the mortgage. And it's like, all right, like I was kind of counting on that, <laughs> you know? So, so the bar picks, you know, the shifts here and there, like just help out, like in, they help fill in the gaps or if I want to do something like add a few ebb and flow tables or something and the business doesn't necessarily have the money for it. I can just be like, yeah, I'll just pick up a couple shifts at the bar and you know, it's kind of nice. It's convenient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how, so how many, I don't think we covered this last, last week. How many, uh, pounds a week are you doing with microgreens at this point? Pounds? Uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if I've ever actually 
figured that number. But uh, I mean, I can tell you kind of quick, I guess. Like we do, we do about, I don't know, between, we don't usually dip below 1,000 a week in sales. It's like very rarely we do it this time of the year. It's when it happens. Then in the summer and spring and early fall, and then like some of the holiday weekends, we go up. We'll do like 16, 1700 a week. And then our average is probably 1200 though. So, and I mean, it at like a $3 an ounce, you know, uh, price. It's like whatever that is. Yeah. Say it's 20 to 25, 20 to 30 pounds, I would say, a week in that range. Okay. Wow. That's, that's funny. The last time I did that math, I was like, wow, we sold 11 pounds of microgreens this week. I was really <laughs> excited about that. I think it's like 20 to 25 in that range, sometimes 30 now. So, now, do you it, have, kind of a, have you thought kind about of a hard number. Yep, go ahead. Have you thought about going into grocery stores? Are there any small local stores that you could probably sell to? So I have a little market here where we sell eggs. Um, it's like a two-store. Like they have one in Newport, Rhode Island, and one in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is kind of a strange spread, but whatever. Um, they have a only certified organic produce department, which is, you know, I don't know, irritating. <laughs> I guess yeah, is the way so- to put it. Because I'm not ever going to be certified organic because I, for a couple of reasons, but number one, I don't believe in it. I think it's silly that the government certifies things like that. And so I just won't participate um, in that program. But we are essentially organic. Like we don't procure all of our seeds organically, but we make sure they're, you know, non-coded, non-GMO, non-treated. So they are organic. They just don't have the stamp of approval from the FDA or whatever. So like, and our soil's organic, certified in Maine, I guess. Uh, the soil we use now and the other stuff was the Fox Farm. So I don't know if they're actually certified. Um, so everything we're doing is organic, but they're, we're not certified, so we can't sell there. There's like two other little health food stores. We tried one, and uh, real small, real small. And it was kind of a train wreck. And uh, just with the shelf life and the management of that account. See, my problem is, this is why we don't sell through a produce um, like distributor yet. Not not even a produce company necessarily, because I could have some control over that. <clears throat> but the middleman distributor, you know, like I call it the docs, the produce docs here. We don't sell through that because we don't have any control over how long it's going to sit on numerous people's shelves before it makes it to a chef, you know. And then my name's all over that. So with a market or with a supermarket or whatever, it's sitting on a shelf for however many days you think is acceptable before someone buys it and however many days you think it's acceptable for them to, to get shelf life, which to me would be at least five days probably for them. Right. Yeah. So, so I have to go to me, I have to guarantee sale to the supermarket because if I don't guarantee sale to them, meaning if it doesn't sell, I'll replace it or refund you. They're going to leave it on the shelf as long as it looks good to them, you know, because they want to sell it. And then I, what I get is, you know, some guy buying my microgreens is put them in his fridge. And then, you know, a day and a half later, they're like a rotten mess, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I know that's a lot of like paranoia involved in that theory, but like we, so we did it in one small market and it was just a total nightmare. It shouldn't move anything. And after six months of doing it, I just looked at her and I said, Hey, I, I go, I don't think this is working. <clears throat> and she, she really expressed an interest in still carrying them. And I said, listen, I can't guarantee sale anymore here. It's just not, I'm not making any money. Like, so if you want to keep these, if you want to carry these, you can buy them and sell them on your own. I go, but we're going to need a contract that basically says that you're not going to leave on the shelf for longer than X amount of days, you know, and, and I'm not going to refund you. And she didn't want to do that. 
So, so we ended that relationship. And then there was another spot out, uh, Applecrest market in Hampton, Northampton, maybe New Hampshire. Can't remember the town. Um, where we tried it and they moved somewhat. I think we're just doing the more hearty stuff like pea tendrils and sunflower and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was okay. And, but it still turned into a maintenance issue. Like, cause it was the same deal where we would show up and the stuff on the shelf, you know, had the expiration date on it and everything too. But then they just weren't managing it. I don't think enough because it's such a, like a time sensitive thing, you know? <clears throat> so we've avoided, we've avoided that. Although I, I listened into his stuff. I thought about it again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I think everybody's be. situation's different, though. Like, everybody's market isn't going to be the same thing. I mean, that's that's the biggest yeah. thing. And I, I think, like, uh, you know, I've talked to Greg Burns about it. Like, a lot of people want to get into small-scale farming or get into microgreens, and they think because people are making money doing it that they're going to, which they do have a potential to, but and not if you live out in the sticks or not if – I mean, you have to have the right market for it. I mean, you, you have to re kind of define what your your opinion of local is because local yeah. might mean two hours away if that's the only metropolitan area that has a market for you. So Yeah, I mean, yeah, to me, local is like, you know, I don't know, not California to here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, in the East yeah. Coast, it's quite a bit different than, you know, Kelowna, British yeah. Columbia. I mean, like Columbus, I think the grocery store thing can work because – even though we're we're like in the same time zone, we're like a, a we have more of a West Coast feel to the town. Like just uh, just definitely just with like the it's it's just the just the attitude. I mean, we're a different city than the rest of Ohio, even. Um, so our our market's a little bit different, but I mean, I you know I it's it's just hard to tell. I, I think you know you you know you have a good feeling for your market. You have a good. You already had a, a good in for chefs. You've already been in that industry for so long, so it just makes more sense. Um, yeah, I think the market thing is definitely something to be talked about. Like, because I mean, if you if you read uh, Luke's book, Luke Callahan's book about microgreens and all that, and then I haven't really dug deep into the other books. I just don't have time to read books. So, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> if it really interests me, I'll read it. But um, <clears throat> so he does a lot of talk about farmers markets and doing you know, X amount of dollars in farmer's market. That really seemed like that was his bread and butter, you know, was farmer's markets. And so when you read the book, you go, all right, I'm going to go market to chefs and I'm going to do farmer's markets. And then the thing I found out here real fast in New Hampshire, southern southern New Hampshire, anywhere in New Hampshire, a lot of people grow their own stuff. There's really not a lot of interest in farmer's markets. Like there's a little bit, you know, and if you go to a farmer's market here, it's like, you know, a couple of bigger produce companies, they're not companies, I shouldn't say that, but like bigger produce farms, <clears throat> um, you know, and then like well, some lady that has a garden, which is fine, whatever. And then like someone who sells honey and then a guy that sells candles for like Yankee Candle or something <laughs> like, or whatever. And then like a couple multi-level marketing schemes and then like whatever. Yeah. And it's just really strange mix, you know? And it, like, there'll be a cheesemaker or something. That's cool. Like I go to them, but there's like, you look around, even when I was a kid in upstate New York, um, when my t before my town became like a poster for the Great Depression, um, the farmer's market was big. It was like a block long, and it was lined. The sole street was lined, like an entire block on both sides with stuff. And like the Amish were there selling the best whoopie pies on the planet and like stuff like that. And there'd be a band and like it was cool, you know. Here it's just like there's 30 people milling about like 15 tables, you know. 
So I looked at that real quick and I said, no farmer's markets here. I think I'm good. Maybe I can find the one that is actually popular, but you know, I haven't done it yet. Actually. Um, I guess there's one in mass in Northern mass here, right on the border where they do the EBT accepting and all that stuff. So, you know, I don't know where that would go. It's in a real heavily, uh, heavy Spanish community. And I know that's, that's a big duck egg market. But the problem is I don't think it's a big duck egg market at the price I want to sell them at. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is people don't know. I mean, that's something that I know just even my friends here run into with their eggs is they're paying extra money to make sure it's GMO free feed and, you know, make yeah, yeah, and and doing all that stuff, but then they don't, you know, people don't care about that. People are like, Oh, duck eggs. I've heard those are good. Oh, it's a brown egg. So it must be healthier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I ran into, I tried to do the quail eggs that way. And I've always tried to find responsible feed. I'll just call it that. Yeah. Um, man, but it's so cost prohibitive. It's ridiculous. So we're like, I guess, no, I shouldn't say it this way. Lucky enough to have a feed company here that, <laughs> that owns every feed mill in New Hampshire now. <laughs> so it's not, <laughs> but like we were lucky enough that they decided that a soy free feed was okay. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but they just, it's, I, I purposely tell people, listen, it's not non-GMO because it's soy-free. They just replaced the soy with canola and alfalfa, which are, I don't know if alfalfa is, but I know canola, canola is a huge GMO crop. So it's like, we are not taking any step whatsoever to be GMO-free by doing this, but we are helping out people to have a no-soy diet like myself, you know? <clears throat> so, you know, we did that. We, we took a step towards that by going, okay, we'll go to the soy-free feed. It was a little bit more, but not much. And that worked out nice because I do draw people that are looking for that, which is great. Um, but to go non-GMO and all that, and not even going organic necessarily, but which I think the only feed here available that is that is also organic. We're doubling our feed costs. And duck eggs are already, you know, depending on your ver- your breed of duck, you're between three and five bucks a dozen to produce a dozen with the carton and everything. Yeah. Like, and that's just, you know, I mean, what are you going to get? Seven bucks? I get eight and I get 10. Like, you know, it depends on what's going on here. Like, I have customers that I've had locked in for years that get them for eight. <clears throat> and then I have in our restaurant and our other price is 10. So, and that's like, I know the, the distributor here is in that $11 range. So, I, that's why we're 10. <laughs> you know, that's good. I, I know a lot of people. So, where I, you know, where I sell my produce, I've talked to the guy about, you know, I'm going to talk to other chefs about it, but I've talked to him about eggs too, just because I, I can source eggs and my buddy just meat and eggs in general. He's just like, man, I'd love to do that stuff, but he's just like, man, I can, I can do it with produce, but I can't as much as I'd like to, I just can't afford to not do commodity. And it's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's how a lot of, a lot of places are. Um, so it, it's a tricky thing, man. It's, it's tricky with, with the, with the egg market, the meat market, um, you know, especially like, I mean, I know a guy who does hundred percent finished grass fed and I said, I'd ask around some people at restaurants and everybody that says they're grass fed is usually just 95% grass fed. It's not a hundred percent finished. And that extra time it takes to do a hundred percent finished is, is, you know, it's a couple months. So you got more money yeah. invested in that animal. So, um, yep. yeah, it's interesting, man. I, I think that, 
the more people become educated with this and the, the, the more value they see in it, it's going to be there. But I, I don't think in most parts of the country that we're quite there yet, especially um, yeah. Midwest. Some I don't I'm, I'm sure the East Coast isn't that much different unless you're going to like New York City or something like there's that. Well, yeah, even, if, even going to like where, I'm, where I grew up in upstate New York, I can never do this there. There's no way. Like I mean, the funny part is I'm in southern New Hampshire and like. If you look at that, you and on the surface you go, that market doesn't. That's not. There's not enough there. And it's like, well, 40 minutes out of Boston, you know, we did in the mid 50,000s in sales last year, like 57, I think, is what we ended up at. Um, and I haven't even went to Boston, so <laughs> like, you know, I'm at. I think we're at 30 something restaurants. I'm even counted lately, and we're only really in New Hampshire. So like, there's a lot. I think there's if think if people look harder at this point now, yeah, there's a lot of these high end like tapas restaurants and stuff that aren't you know or whatever that are popping up and these more like there's a lot more chefs out there that are very creative and they're not the arrogant douchebags that they used to be, and like you know they're not whipping pants across the kitchen anymore and stuff like that <laughs> like they're a little better to deal with because they're a lot younger too. They're, I mean most of the chefs I deal with are under probably under 35 or at least my age. Um, but, you know, but the backtrack around the market idea, like the, the farmer's markets didn't work here like I thought they would. The restaurants do. There probably is a supermarket market. So there's a hole here for somebody to do that, I would say. But you got to figure out what your market is, like really. But I think there is a market almost everywhere. I mean, I don't know if you're in the middle of Nebraska, in the middle of nowhere, maybe not. But but either, you know, the problem is when you get real rural, the farmer's market is tough because everybody's doing their own thing. And no one knows what a microgreen is. You have to explain that to everybody. And yeah. unless someone's unless someone's a health nut, they're not really going to buy it for their own use, you know. So that's why I focus on the on the restaurant end. And I have some private sale customers that I use to just kind of make like so I can overplant for the restaurants and then not worry that it's all going to go to waste because I can turn around and sell to the, the private sale customers probably at a reduced rate, you know. That's but and then there's you know, but there's I just think you have to feel out your own market. And you have to use the tools available to you. Like, you know, we do some Facebook advertising. <clears throat> I use Yelp to root out new restaurants all the time. And as that goes on, I find that restaurants I would not have expected to use microgreens are actually starting to. I think a lot more of these like little pub style restaurants, I guess, are starting to bring in chefs because they think that that's actually a good move, which is a good move. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, so I have a, like, like kind of a, I don't know. I guess they describe it as more of an upper end, like biker bar almost. It's kind of weird. Um, that I sell microgreens to, and they opened right up the street from me, and I just was like, "Nope, not gonna go there." And then somebody sent me a picture of like really shitty produce company microgreens on something <laughs> from that place, and I was like, "All right." <laughs> so now I don't rule out anything. Like, and you know, what does it take to bring a package of pea tendrils to a place? You know, nothing. You know. Yeah. So I just hit everything now and just see what happens. Um, whereas it'd be in the beginning, I was very targeted on who I would go to and who I would spend my time. I still prioritize, obviously, like, but I'm not holding back, holding back at all. I thought sushi places would be a good spot, but I've actually have not, I've not nailed one sushi restaurant as a customer yet. So that's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a weird thing. I was totally wrong about, I guess they use the stuff. They just don't want to buy it from me. Yeah. <laughs> very weird like i'm sure they're getting they look from at, you know large produce or commodity produce or something like yeah that. yeah i'm sure they are i mean the thing about that is i'm i'm 
competitive with that. Like, that's why it gets frustrating because I look at a chef and I just want to go, hey, can we just cut through the bullshit because you're eventually going to buy my stuff because you're going to save money and have a better product at the same time. Yeah. But I can't obviously say that. <laughs> how, how much when you give them a, a sample, when you give a chef a sample, how much are you giving? I take uh, enough for them. My, my theory on it is enough for them to use for a day at least. Okay. So the beginning, I was showing up with a little clamshell with like five different things in it going, this is a small sampling of what we offer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then I said, to hell with this. Like, I'll bring, I want to do, you know, shock and awe with my, my, with my sampling. I want to show up with six clamshells of stuff, you know? So I'll bring up to four ounces of stuff, like whatever. Like I'll bring them two to four ounces of uh, sunflower, pea tendrils, you know, radish, the rain, our rainbow mix or what I call it, purple salad because we don't put red in it. Um, and then something that's a wild card item that we're growing at the moment. And then obviously my fresh sheet so they know. My fresh sheet's kind of always changing, obviously. So I'll bring them a, hey, this is typically what we offer, but sometimes the stuff isn't available, you know. And uh, my labeling has my cell number on it. And in big red letters, it says text. And then my cell number, text, is, and then in the middle, it says orders, <laughs> right? So it's text orders to this number on every package, on every piece of paper that I bring with me. Um, and did you and get like my, a label printer for that? No, I just use a the best cheap brother friggin' printer on the planet, man. Like uh, Jack Spierko did a podcast about coupon, or not, he didn't do it. He had a guy on about couponing, like, I don't even know, six years ago, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he talked about these brother printers these MFC and then there's a bunch of numbers, brother printers. They're like a hundred bucks on Amazon, dude. And you get cheap ink and they're individual color cartridges. I own four of them because they're so awesome. Right. And like, you can't kill them. So I just print and they're just a regular inkjet printer, whatever. And, uh, I just print like print away because the ink is so cheap. Like I don't even care. <laughs> I just buy mailing labels on Amazon and, and my ink on Amazon and my, and my printer and I just print and I move on. Um, I, I do eventually want to get to a waterproof label, but it's not a priority yet because I'm not selling to a distributor or anything like that. So, um, makes sense. We do a lot of reusable packaging too. So like with most of our chefs, we do, um, we just use those, uh, uh, what are they? Can't remember. Gladware from Walmart. And we have three different sizes. So, and it, like, so we know which, you know, so we have variety and this people ordered by the ounce from us. So, and then we label it with these labels and they just, you know, we work out of, Hey man, put these aside for me. And if I get it back three times, I'd make money on it after that. Huh? Yeah. That and, makes you know, sense. Yeah. And then we have disposable too, for a couple accounts that don't want to do it. Like if the chef is like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work in my kitchen. Like, all right, that's fine. We don't have to bring me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Next time we'll bring disposable. That's fine with me, you know. So, but the disposables are, you know, thirty cents a pop, a lot of times. So, these Gladwares are like a buck. Yeah. So it's like like right around three three uses. I'm in you know I'm in the I'm in the black there. So. So what about what about just uh, bags that you would put salad mix in? Uh, is there any reason why you don't do that with twist ties? Yeah, I don't like the um, the uh, durability. I just like. Microgreens is so easy to break the stems and stuff. We're real careful not to do stem breaking, you know. And that's yeah. a really, a real easy beginner mistake with greens is, or micros is, uh, <clears throat> you know, like 
couple things I think are beginner mistake. Like I'm a big proponent of washing your greens before you sell them. I just think that's a necessity myself. I'm, other people don't, and that's fine. But to me, I found that in testing that if you wash them, um, they get better shelf life for some reason. I don't know if they're because you cut them and you're getting some of the chlorophyll out or whatever and rehydrating, something like that. And you dry, sure and you dry them as well? You wash yeah, them, it was, them like Curtis? Yeah, yep, everything we do, we cut, wash, and dry. Uh, we just use, uh, you know, like cafeteria style plastic trays, like you would have gotten in high school, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, we have those, and we just line them with paper towel and put them in. We have a rack with fans, and then they just and they get tossed through the timer, and uh, which I hear in my head nonstop. That um, goes off every six minutes, so we just we fluff them on the trays very carefully. So, like when we wash and dry and package, you have to be careful not to break the stems which is something that's easy to do and easy to overlook in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we wash, <clears throat> we actually wash in vinegar salt water solution right now. We might go to a approved, like uh, it's called victory wash. It's made by eco lab. It's, it's really the same thing we're using, but it's like an official product kind of thing. And it's, it's a produce wash, you know, it's supposed to kill like 99% of any listeria problems or anything like that. So, um, I've just been using water. Yeah, but, I just dip them. Yeah, I was and... for a long I was for a long time. And then I remember like when I was in restaurants, a lot of time we'd wash lettuce with a vinegar salt water thing to kill any bugs and and that happens. You do get the little gnats and whatnot that fly around occasionally. So we were doing that and then so we do a double wash and then a dry. <clears throat> and then we don't do the vinegar salt water on certain things so it's so delicate, like the basil and uh amaranth. And we stopped doing it with the peas because it was actually whacking out the peas too. It was kind of making them like uh, look bruised almost. So we went to just water on those, but we just, I don't know. We just did a lot of precaution, you know, like the whole listeria concern thing and the ha you know, we have like a HACCP plan for all that. So, which is another part that people overlook, which is a huge pain in the ass, HACCP plans. What is that? So, it's a HACCP, H-A-A-C-P. It's a, I don't know. It's an acronym for something. <laughs> it's a <laughs> The handling protocol for food, like every restaurant that's some large enough to protect themselves will have a HACCP plan for like every piece of anything they handle, you know? So like, like a basic idea would be, uh, you know, the microgreens are cut, um, they're washed within X amount of time, um, and then they're dried within X amount of time and packaged and then refrigerated to 40 one degrees or below and kept that you know maintained that way until sale wobble and then obviously there, then there's a procedure it's basically procedures and requirements for what you're doing to, to handle food safely because the listeria concern comes in when food goes above 41 degrees so the longer it sits there the more likely it is um so like the, the only issue obviously once it's out of your hands in a restaurant now it's on them yeah so as long as like you cover yourself with how you handle your greens, like, you know, Hey, listen, I cut it and it's washed and dried and packaged within like 40 minutes, you know, and then it's in a cooler and it's down to 41 degrees within, you know, an hour total, you know, which is completely acceptable in food safety land. Um, and then it goes into an iced cooler or refrigerated deal, whatever you're doing. I used to use coolers with ice packs <clears throat> and then it goes right to the restaurant and I put it right into the cooler most of the time myself. So, you know, that from, harvest to delivery that it's been handled correctly and you're you're safe you know that makes and sense as you get as you get bigger you have to limit exposure <laughs> you know yeah obviously 
That makes sense. So what are you, uh, so what are your, for this year, how do you plan on, what would you like to grow the business to? Like, what do you think your max capacity is uh, with your current setup? So we think that, so I think I can add, we figured this out the other day. It's uh, six more fill and flood tables that hold eight um, flats per. So, you know, third, what's that? I'm bad at math, dude. 32? No. Wait, more, uh, more than that, eight, eight times six, John, 48. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like I'm a great accountant, but I'm terrible at math. Right. <laughs> no, but, uh, yes, we can add another 48 tray capacity on just watering, which is quite a bit, you know, uh, without really spending too much money, which is cool. Um, cause just cause I have some like crappy shelves that I'm using that I came from home Depot and I need to switch those out to the wire restaurant style selling that's more adjustable. Um, and then I have spots already on my big unit, my big rack there for two more right now. So I can expand that capacity. And then I have my rolling carts to hold like another 64 or so. And then what I already have. So we can get it up like tray wise up into that mid 200s range, I think, you know, somewhere in there, low 200s. <clears throat> and that's just after germination. So um, our goal as far as like accounts and sales goes, we're going to start hitting the private sale thing a lot harder. Like we've had a lot of issues with that that I can get to in a minute, but yeah, or really internal issues on me not wanting to be an asshole and like annoy people. <laughs> so, um, and you mean to like far, consumers? I, yeah, yeah, just like the people that want to buy stuff from the farm, right? So let me, I'll get, I'll get to that in one sec. That's a whole thing, um, and maybe you and I can come to a solution. Who knows? <laughs> so, <laughs> far as sales go, we did fifty-seven, I think, last year. Some of that's private on-farm consumer sale. That's why I don't have a solid number yet. I haven't done my taxes. Um, so I think we did 57000 last year. Um, the year before that, we started in April. We did twenty two, twenty three thousand, something like that. Um, so we more than doubled last year, but we had a full year. This year, I think just looking at accounts that we have right now and not even adding accounts and just assuming everybody maintains and the ones that are on certain trends stay on those trends up or down. <clears throat> I know we can do close to 70 and obviously we're going to try to grow. So my short, my small goal, I have like two goals. Like my realistic goal is 75,000 in sales this year. My real, like, this is what I want to do. Really bad goal is a hundred thousand. I'd love to just see that number on a page. Cause I have a thing about numbers. <laughs> Yeah. So like, I just want to see a hundred thousand in sales and it's almost probably not going to happen. I mean, cause we're what seven weeks into the year, I would need to do roughly two grand a week in sales. We haven't been doing anything close to that. <laughs> you know, Summer's going to come and a lot of our restaurants that are closed seasonally on the coast are going to come back. So we're going to make up a lot of that. But, um, our way of reaching that goal though, we just basically set a real unmathematical short-term goal of, Hey, two new restaurants a month, no matter what, that's all we do. We just need to pound two new restaurants a month. And that'll obviously put us up into that 50 something restaurant range. Our average uh, sales to a restaurant per invoice are generally 40 to 60 bucks. And that they, they bounce around a lot, but let's just call it 50. You know what I mean? So it's, if we have 50 restaurants at a hundred bucks a week, you know, that's, you know what I mean? So like it, and that adds up quick. It ain't going to be that, but that's our way to get to a hundred thousand. And I know all that math was, it was, that was all George Bush fuzzy math right there. <laughs> right. But like, 
it just, it, we, I just looked at her and I said, what's realistic? Two restaurants a month, right? And she said, yep. And I went, all right, that's it. We're doing that. Yeah. And then the problem is we're going to run out of two restaurants a month in our already delivery route. And we're going to end up having to add a day to go somewhere else. And whether or not that is north into New Hampshire, which there's some promise there, or south into Boston, which there's obviously a lot there, or kind of northeast into possibly into Maine, actually into Portland, Maine, which is another, I haven't done research there yet, but if there's no one doing it there yet, I can, we can make a ton of money there, you know? Yeah. How, how long of a hike is that to Maine? About an hour and a half up to Portland from our office. It's not too bad. Like it would be a, all three of those things I just said, we would probably be in a one day a week delivery, which okay. I a little afraid of, I guess, because I haven't done it yet, but I talked to some of my chefs and said, just, Hey, uh, I'm not going to do this with you, but, uh, if I had walked in here and you didn't know me with everything that you know, everything that happened, you know, when I walked in to do my marketing, but I said, delivery is going to be on Thursday only, you know, what I've still got in your business. And most of them are like, yeah, it's no problem. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, like I, I'm a big advocate of the two day a week delivery because I think you can, you can drive more sales that way Yeah, because you have an more entire day of opportunity to sell them stuff. They might not have, they might, you know, they might want something for their specials the next couple of days, that kind of thing that you wouldn't have delivered on just one day a week. <clears throat> and then, you know, I mean, if you add a whole nother day, but if you make the time, it's worth it. But if I have to just, in order to expand my market to one day, then it is where it is. Yeah. So that's, that yeah, that's, sense, I mean, that's man. how we want to get there. Yeah. What do you do for cooler? I mean, what do you do for cold storage when you're traveling? We're just coolers and ice packs. I'm just like, hey, man, that's how we started, and that's how we're going to keep rolling until we can't. <laughs> so I have a 2002 Saturn with 250,000 miles on it that I bought off a guy for $600 like a year and a half ago. Greatest investment ever made. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's got a little Ford Fiesta we bought in 2011. It's going to be paid off like next month. So – we use those, and I'm a pretty okay part swapping mechanic, so I keep that shit running. And uh, like great snow tires, man, and coolers, and ice packs, and it's like you're in for low money. Like everything I do in this, in any business I've ever ran, like I started a landscaping business for a little while, and <clears throat> anything I've ever tried, I am all about as cheap entry level as possible, or whatever fits your budget. I guess probably a better way to put it. Because if you're kicking around 150 grand in a bank account and you want to put 20 into business, I guess that's the same thing as me saying, I'll put two grand into this, you know? Yeah. So, and I don't even do that. I mean, like I said, we talked about it, you know, in part one with how I got into this with a rack that I already had lights that I already had some trays that I already had, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I think I spent a hundred bucks to try this. And then I just, then I invested, I think $350 and then I let it pay for itself from there. Like, and, you know, obviously I'm not counting labor and whatnot, but just material, you know, very cheap entry level. Considering we, I mean, you know, I spent $350 and then we're doing $57,000 a year. Like that's an okay investment. Absolutely. <laughs> but, so the, I just say coolers, man, like coolers, ice packs, let it roll, you know, and like just whatever works for you. I'm not going to run out. Like here's, that's the thing. Would I even be in business right now if I ran out and bought a refrigerated van? Probably not, yeah. you know, so that's not even an option in my head right now. And what I'm doing is working. So, <clears throat> I mean, my delivery route lasts maybe an hour and a half. So if it's not quite keeping the stuff 
you know, if the cooler itself isn't at 41 degrees or whatever, it's at 44, the product itself going in is at the right temperature and it's holding, you know, good enough. Yeah. Safe. No, that makes sense. <clears throat> so what is your issue with uh, selling direct to consumers? Yeah, I want to get back to this. So I find it real, it's real hard for me to break through the barrier of being a pain in the ass. Like, I don't like, I'm not good at typical salesmanship, basically. You know, like, I like to develop a relationship with people. Like, you know, Spirko says, sell the story all the time. And I, I'm great at that. That's fine. I just go in, talk to chefs. I'm just genuine. I just, I'm me. We shoot the shit and they end up buying my product. That's great. And the same thing happens with consumers. But with a chef, they expect me to text them once or twice a week or email them twice a week with a list so they can order because that's their job, you know? Yeah. With some guy in his house that wants to try out kale for juicing, like, I, I run in this dilemma where it's like, man, I don't want to text this guy every week and say this we have available because I feel like that sucks to get. I know a text is not a big deal, but like, if I'm in the middle of something and my phone's like, ding, and I'm like, oh, what the hell is that? And I have to stop and go look. And I'm like, you know what I mean? I, I know if you're super interested in it, that'd be fine. But if you're just like a passive customer, you're going to order it here and there, like every six weeks, and you get a text every week. Like, I feel like that's annoying. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, I would just like tell adult, people in you know? advance, hey, so this is how I'm going to let you know. I'm going to text you once a week. If you want me to stop, just tell me. Yeah, and, that, and I, I, I probably should just approach so I guess, I mean, I, I have approached it that way, but I just, I'm always looking for the universal, like, because the other part about this is like, they might look at you and go, well, email's better. They might look at you and go, well, I'll just, you know, why don't you call me or whatever? Because people can, you know, always prefer something different. Yeah. And the, chef, the chefs are all used to doing it one way. So that's fine. Like you just find that way and you kind of, and you know what chefs can order every week. So you just be a little more flexible with them. But I'm just trying to find that one size fits all way to communicate what our product is available. Like we have a website that you can buy off of, but that's kind of proving to be a dilemma because I can't narrow down where I can sell to good enough. Cause I have people, I had a guy try to order turnip greens that lives in Oregon. Make it work. Here's your money back, you know? And then like, I have another guy that's up like an hour and a half from me who ordered quite a bit of stuff. And in a perfect world, I'd love to just shoot up there and make 25 bucks an hour for two hours of my time. Yeah. You know, but I don't know if I have the time to do a lot for that right now, you know? And like, so we talked and I'm going to try to figure out how to mail it to him, but I don't know. Like I've always kind of wanted to play around with that anyway. So we'll yeah. see. But, um, cause I actually, I have a restaurant on long Island. I could sell to if I want, if I could mail this stuff, but I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but like, I don't know. I just, I want the way, like it's, I don't know if it's Facebook or if it's, you know, uh, like I tried to set up an event on Facebook once and that just went nowhere. <laughs> right. And, uh, there's the email thing, the list. And I think the email list might be the best way to go because it's less intrusive. You yeah, know? I think so too. Um, just say place your orders. Um, and you can have them just place it online and then have a day yeah. where people pick up from you. Yeah. That's my other thing. It's like, I've always been, so this part might be part of my failure with just on farm sales or whatever you call it, private customers is uh, I'm like in between my house and my office where we grow and they're, you know, about 12 miles apart. <clears throat> and I am very, uh, I'm like captain adult ADD. Right. So like a lot of times if I don't have a to-do list, I wake up in the morning and I go, all right, where's the day going to take me today? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of float around to do what I do. And I really like my life that way, to be honest with you. So 
and I was talking about this with one of the bartenders I worked with yesterday who buys some of our stuff uh, or two days ago. Um, she's like, you need to commit to a time that you can be at your at your place for people to show up and buy stuff. And I'm like, ugh. Like, just the thought of having to be there. Like, I also, I also have commitment issues, I guess, too. <laughs> like, just the thought of having to be in one place for three or four hours. Oh, my God. Like, I just, and I'm sure it would be fine. I'd find plenty of stuff to do. But, like, just the, the, the thought of doing it, I'm like, ugh. I don't want to do that, <laughs> you know. You so, have a, so I, like in your office area, do you have an area where people can just come to the front and pick stuff up? Sort of. Like when you walk in, you're in the growing area. So not that's really, true. but that's okay. I don't, I don't have a problem with people seeing that. Like it's, yeah, it's clean enough. Yeah, that'd actually be pretty you know? cool. Yeah, I think it's cool for the experience. I've had people come over. So like we, we always pretty much deliver because most of the people um, that we that buy our stuff just happen to be close enough to our delivery route. So it's like. A lot of times I just go, I can just deliver to you on Tuesday if you want. And they're like, oh, that's great. So it works, but it's another stop. And it's not sustainable because if I end up with 25 private sale customers on my delivery route, you know, and I'm trying to beat the clock with the restaurants, that ain't going to happen, you know? No, they don't. I mean, I just don't think it's worth um, no. delivery to, yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're better off to just have uh, people come to you. I mean. One thing, uh, the guy, Ben, I think his name's Ben Hartman from Lean Farm. He actually just set up like he did when he did his CSA. Uh, people were missing the drop days. So he, he took these cheap chest freezers that he found. Yep. And he, did you read, like, have you heard him talk about it? He, he found this piece. No. Okay. So he, <clears throat> he found this, this piece where you could turn a chest freezer into a refrigerator. And it was like yep. 18 bucks. And then wow. he would just basically have people's names in it. And it was just kind of an honor system. Like they would pay and pick it up to me. Yeah. we. What's that? Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. I was going to say, but to me, like, you know, maybe you can get that pass in outside Goshen, Indiana, but I, I don't know where I could do that in, you know, a metropolitan area. Like I've been to Goshen. It's yeah. not a very big area. Like stuff like that I, works in the country because people don't lock their car doors and stuff like that. But in the city, just always living either in like an urban area, like you don't leave your doors unlocked. Like that's a silly thing to do. And and yeah. I, I just think there's too much uh, vulnerability there unless you had storefronts yeah, sure. where people would sort for you. But then you're also going to that. So I think ultimately, I think your best bet's just to have once or twice a week for say okay you can pick it up and right here or if there's a and i don't know i mean i think that's the best bet is having people come to you man because then you don't have to travel and you don't have to worry about delivering to different homes and that's it's, yeah and, it's it, a and, hassle. and in reality in reality every time you hit the road your liability goes up you know um and also you have a two hundred fifty thousand mile car that is a ticking yeah. time bomb <laughs> That, that thing's going to run forever. Anyway. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you're, you're in a place where the car rusts away before it dies, right? Oh, yeah. Kind of I mean, I, I refuse to spend more than $1,000 for a vehicle. There's no way. Yeah, this is, a, this is a plastic car, though. Like, it's a Saturn. It's plastic. Oh, Saturns or are great. It. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I wish somebody would just start making these again or something. But, like, uh, it's got no rust, and it's, what, 15 years old now? That's great. So I keep saying, man, if the engine blows, I'm just putting another one in. That's a good idea, actually, because you could probably find yeah. it. 
uh steve old steve yeah, harbalt or whatnot would tell you a good spot to get a i mean he he i mean that's what he i'm sure yeah, he's, he's a mechanic, mechanic right yeah he would do that <laughs> yeah i mean i have a good like backyard mechanic guy here that's like a diesel fleet mechanic with an awesome sh- uh garage behind his house and everything so it's like 40 minutes away but it's worth it Hell um yeah. so like if the engine blows he's a triple a tow right away oh, <clears> but uh I, i've seen the engines for this car on ebay for like 500 bucks and i'm like why wouldn't i yeah. <laughs> you know? that's awesome so, i like it it's a nice little car but uh yeah but so as far as the private sales go like that's something i need to tackle this year absolutely um the duck eggs are a big part of that we have people like just showing up at the house like randomly and that just doesn't work for me too no. like i want to be open on the farm but man the random just that you know like as you've probably heard of the last time we talked the dog goes ape shit mm-hmm. she's a livestock guardian dog and i I didn't really train her to be a perfect livestock guarding dog, so she thinks I'm her flock too. So yeah. So when someone knocks on that door, she's ready, she's ready to kill, you know? Yeah. Um. Of course, the, minute, the minute they come in and they say it's okay, she's ready for belly petting. So, <laughs> you know, like she isn't that bad, but it's well, just it's, like. It's just an inconvenience, I, man. That's your private yeah, space. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm like walking around in my boxers, man, and someone's knocking on the door and it's like some girl that wants to buy duck eggs. And I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me just go put pants on so I can sell you duck eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I think, actually... I think it, if you already have an email list, I would, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I need to do this for the podcast too. And I was just talking about it with uh, some friends that are really good with email and they're like, you know, you got to send something at least once a week. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can't have yeah, a list just sitting there. So I just send them out and say, rolling it out. I would even see if you could do like a survey monkey thing, like get a survey mm-hmm. monkey for your, your list of people or even do it in facebook for local people like i think you can do surveys and facebook's like on your farm page i don't know i mean do do a few and just see what people are open to like what the options and just say look i don't i don't really have time to do home deliveries um this is what would work best i'd love for you guys to see the farm you can buy eggs and micros here from this time to this time even if you did it you know uh I'd rather do the slotted pickup order time, that kind of thing. I think that's a great yeah. way to go. If I mean, if I you're really, going to spend I enough money, you that. can make I a just, special appointment, but you have to figure out what that dollar yeah. amount is. Well, and I, okay, I guess what I mean more is, uh, hey, I'm here from this time to this time, but I want to know what they're going to buy. Yeah, I'm not just going to not just going to cut a whole bunch of shit and then hope it sells. Yeah. So, like, you know, I mean, micros do have a okay, they're ready to cut time frame. Oh um, yeah. Before you have you have to cut them, like, you know, certain things are long which is nice because a lot of times those are the high dollar things. Um, But like, you know, obviously like purple cabbage has got like, you're at like day 13 and you're like, man, I got to cut that tomorrow no matter what, you know, Um, then most of your brassicas, but your pea tendrils can last, you know, okay. They're ready to sell after 12 and they're still good eight days later, (laughs) you know, still still alive growing. Um, Sunflowers, they start growing that extra set of leaves uh, and you're like, shit such a pain in the ass but yeah. <laughs> like in every batch of sunflower seeds you get is like a whole different uh the whole different it's like getting a different variety every time yeah yeah you know, it's like the last batch i had was awesome and i bought 50 pounds of them and i was like thank god i have so many of these and they grew just they were just champs man like you couldn't kill them you could they didn't double leaf for a while they shed most of their holes um 
like everything about them was awesome. And their shelf life, they didn't get brown tips. Like I was just like, I don't know what the, gen- the genetic makeup of these are, but they're perfect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this last batch I got is like double leaf after three days, you know, <laughs> like cut them in the ends, turn brown and right in front of your eyes, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's so hit or worst. miss. Mine was, I mean, mine was radish, man. Like they would just, they'd be looking good. And then the next day they'd just be falling over. Like somehow yeah. in between they didn't get they, enough water or they just got too heavy. Yeah, I was gonna say, were they too tall and and too usually they're if they're too tall, they'll start to do that. Yeah. But they need radish is like a water hog, I've learned. You can't overwater radish if well, with the one caveat is if you're mix with me, if you're mixing your soil fifty fifty with perlite, okay. The, the advantage of that is I can soak the shit out of my radish, right? like to where you look at it and it looks like a wet sponge, the soil. Right. But because it's half perlite, it's still going to drain out, you know? And so between the radish sucking up all the water you can possibly give it and the soil not becoming anaerobic because the air pockets with the perlite, you can just water the shit out of them and move on. So that's one of the advantages of the perlite thing. I can do the same thing with peas for the most part. I can do the same thing with sunflowers. The other stuff's more sensitive, you know, like you got to be careful. Um, challenging but that, that's, yeah that's the radish thing though man like they just they're water hogs and they're fast like to me radish in the summer i can have radish done in six days which is like just nuts <laughs> like, i can't even comprehend six days from seed to four inches tall you know so yeah that's pretty crazy some guy down here in florida uh he sells like uh sun shoots and he he does like the giant trays, and he, he could he could do so much stuff better. And he's he's selling like a pound for like six bucks. I got a farmer oh, market yeah. a half a pound. Yeah. Like just doesn't know. Like he he. I mean, he, and all this stuff looks good, but he does wheatgrass too. And he's just saying he grows everything in a hoop house. He's like, yeah, in the summertime, I can harvest this stuff in like three days. I'm yeah, like, right. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, oh, that's crazy so yeah, uh that's... yeah it's different man with heat and everything like that i mean climate's a big deal so um yeah we we get the changing here which is like that's always it's just a non-stop adjustment here you know even even last week to this week you know have you like tried growing your stuff outdoors too i haven't i i i just didn't it, what i'm doing works so i didn't play with it um that makes sense. we thought in the summer we were gonna i have a Texas Prepper 2 greenhouse, you know, and if you ever know what those are, the hoop, the ones made the cattle panels. Okay. And, uh, like Steve Harbolt and I built a bunch of those at Permethos last, uh, the June before last. <clears throat> and, uh, so I have that and I had people looking for basil and I was having trouble growing it indoors at the house. And I said, listen, you're just going to have to wait till summer and we're going to put the basil out in the greenhouse and just see where it goes. And I just, we didn't do it. We ended up leasing the place. And, uh, I look at what, uh, Curtis Stone has with like absolute jealousy. <laughs> like, <laughs> that big ass awesome greenhouse. And I'm like, yeah. man, I want it. like, but I just, my property where I live in Derry, New Hampshire, we're talking, I don't know. I don't know where we rank now. At one point we had the highest property taxes in the state. And like, that's the thing, like New England property values are high and the taxes are generally higher than other places too, you know? And the one caveat to New Hampshire is like you can find houses that aren't ridiculously overvalued, but they still have a high tax rate. So it's like if you're in Mass, everything is three hundred thousand dollars. You can get something here for one fifty, one sixty, and 
it's a little bit higher tax rate, but it ends up being less money, you know? Absolutely. Um, so we're here and like the town's good and all, but I'm not like in quite the farmland I would like to be in. Um, I'd like to move another half hour or so at least north from here eventually. So the thoughts of putting a permanent structure on this property for that, it, that reason is just no way. Like yeah. I'm not doing it. That makes sense. And, like I would go to the basement. I've considered that, but I have a dirt basement and I would need to dig that out and lay concrete. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot of work. So much and so much money. So we just, uh, I think we talked about that. Yeah. We so, did. Yeah. But it's all good. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when yeah. you have to continue a conversation a week later, John. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen. The house isn't going to happen. You know, whatever. So it was like just leasing a property made the most sense for us. I know a lot of people do these shipping container things. Um, I don't know. I'm good with that. It's just such, a, it's such an eyesore. The last thing I need is like, I have a lot of ducks. I don't need another. I think it's, I think it's cool on the West coast. Yeah. The climate's yeah. always but like where it snows a ton and, and everything else like that. I I don't know. I've never, they're cheap. So you can get them for like a grand or two grand. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I, so like, that's, see, that's another intro introductory level. Uh, or what's the word I'm looking for? Like the, uh, you know, your intro, your cost, introduction costs right whatever into business like if you want to buy a shipping container for a grand or two grand and then develop it insulate it out and then build it out as you need to that makes a lot of sense to me then there's these companies selling these things a farm in a box for like thirty thousand dollars and i get people or maybe more i don't even know and i run into people that are like i want to get this and and start selling stuff and i'm like man that's a lot of field greens yeah <laughs> like, well it's yeah it's it's just it's just crazy uh, even uh, Michael Jordan and I were talking about that. It's it's actually like an old school hive where it has like a, a tap built into it, and you turn the tap on. Yeah, for, hive or whatever. yeah, yeah. And he's like, it's it's three hundred dollars for a pound or like per pound of honey, pretty much. It's like wow. He's just <laughs> like the the returns not that great on it, and uh, it's yeah. it's that's Good. just kind of it. Like it's it's something that's hip and cool, and people that haven't done any research about farming or anything think that they can supplement uh effort and time with money and then they just spent yeah. a bunch of money and they didn't need to um yeah it's like it's like anything else. it's like the i was thinking of this yesterday with like I've always, i'm always beating my head against the wall trying to figure out some passive income on the side right yeah and uh i'm always like man if i build like a website or something that can generate some revenue you know and then like i could probably make some money with that you know like you know, whatever. Like, and you listen to these podcasts, these guys are like, this is all you got to do. And it's like, yeah, okay, dude, you're a giant sales pitch for an overpriced class is what you really are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and then I stood back, I stood back yesterday and I, cause I always think about building this website where I can judge chicken wings cause I love chicken wings. Right. And, uh, you know, be like a restaurant reviewer for chicken wings only. <laughs> and, uh, I like love doing it. So it wouldn't be much of a risk, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm like, and maybe I could, I don't know, sell something and make some money doing that, whatever. And then I step back and I go, I know a lot of people that can build websites and they're not just building a ton of websites and becoming rich. Yeah. So clearly that's not a thing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I so think, I mean, like I think it's always good to get supplemental income. I think like now that, cause you're self-employed oh, yeah. now, now that like I was forced on that path, like you got to have multiple streams of income, man. Like you have to have. Yeah. Like I need to do a better job with monetizing the podcast, and it's weird because I don't want to be in your face with shit with my listeners and stuff like that. So I try to be really, like, just I just try to say, look, I I've used this 
It works for me. I believe in it. If you want to buy it, you can. But otherwise, just listen to the show. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. care. That whole ethics thing getting in the way. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, you know, I want this to be real and authentic. I don't want people to feel like I'm trying to sell them something. I think yeah. Like I, I want to give people information to where maybe they can they can decide, hey, I, I, I got to grow some balls. I'm going to start my own business because I hate my job or something like that. And that's always cool when people message me and they tell me that. And then they're like, what do you think? I'm like, well, shit, man, that's exciting. Like, I don't have any advice for you, but just... Yeah, just get going, man. Yeah, man, make decisions for yourself. That's what's exciting about it. Live your life. So yeah, I mean, I I banged my head against the wall for years, like trying to figure out how I could work for myself. I remember sitting in my apartment in front of an old computer in Rhode Island in like 2000, going, "Man, I got to work for myself somehow. I just don't know what." Yeah, no idea. Same here, man. Same here. I mean, like then uh, (laughs) I tried the comedy show stuff, and that failed miserably. Um, Yeah, like promoting comedy shows, and then. You know, it, you just, I did plenty of multi-level marketing schemes when I was like 22 and annoyed all my friends and family, uninvited from weddings, stuff like that. Like, you know, so, you know, I've, I've been through that. And so now it's like, okay, well, you know, but you, you just pick up more and more skills and you learn more and more tools and, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a progress thing, man. You just got to keep doing it. Yeah. And then one day you figure it out. And it's weird when you do because you don't realize that you've actually figured it for a little while, I feel like. But uh, with us, it was like, <clears throat> you know, we thought ducks, duck eggs because they're more expensive and we like ducks anyway. And when we realized we could sell these things because we just had ducks and people would buy them, we were like, maybe this is a business. And it's like, you know, we just lost money for a few years and we have way too many ducks now and we're not making any money on it. And then <clears throat> once we created a bigger market, they did start to make money. It wasn't a lot, but they did, you know. Yeah. And then. And then I said, let's, you know, let's roll with quail. This is actually before the greens, we rolled with some quail and we didn't really make anything on them, but I thought they were cool. So I kind of stuck with it. We went through a little lull there where we had zero quail at one point before we started back up with them. So none of the Asian restaurants wanted quail eggs either? No, no, they they do. They're using them. They just don't want to buy them from me because they're like afraid that I'm not approved or some garbage. A lot of people are afraid that you're not approved by some invisible entity that is supposed to approve everything or something like there's no approval process in New Hampshire for this. Like, it's pretty simple. Like, there's some regulations for chicken eggs, and that's about it. <laughs> you register your business with the state as a business, and, um, like, you're done. Like, I've called some health departments and asked them, how do you feel about me selling eggs in your town, like, back when I first started? And they're like, yeah, just do me a favor and uh, follow the chicken egg guidelines on the website, on the Hampshire website, essentially, they might have, you know, went a little farther into detail, but that's what they asked me to do, you know? Yeah. And that was because that's put a temperature requirement, date them and, uh, write, uh, don't either don't grade them or put a size on them and that's it. Like, and just move on, you know, or, or put ungraded unsized or whatever, you know, some stupid legal specifications for eggs. And it's like very, it's literally just labeling. That's all they're looking for. And, um, so I just did that and I moved on, you know? But some of these restaurants I walk into are like, well, you're not an approved vendor. And I'm like, well, there's no such thing. <laughs> like, like, what the f- are you even talking about? Like, I had a chef take over one of my other accounts that said that to me. And he had come from another place that wouldn't use me for the same reasons. And he, he just kind of blew himself up and said it in front of the GM. And like, I'd had a relationship with this place for two years now. And they love me, you know? Yeah. And uh, I just sounded like Trump there. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> they love me believe me no anyway so i went in, 
And uh, he he did the whole you're not an approved vendor thing in a meeting. And I'm like, yeah, all right, dude. And I go, well, I'm registered with the state. I have insurance. Nothing else I can do. And then two weeks later, the the other chef started buying stuff for me again. So, um, but it's like a weird thing, like this weird hang up. They're like afraid because you're not Cisco, you know, or whatever, you know. They're afraid because um, you're giving them better quality food. And it, yeah, I know. I love outside the, the like, it's outside the the norm to them. Yeah, like the quail egg thing, I find it amusing when they're like, no, you're not approved for quail eggs. We have to get it from the distributor. And I go, okay, you know, have fun with those like abused eggs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, my, trust me, my quail eggs are going to be more safe and better no matter what, you know. But uh, but as far as the revenue stream thing goes, like, on a, I think on a small urban farm, that's your key, man. Like, like I said, we started duck eggs, didn't make a lot of money. Quail eggs, eh, kind of flop in the beginning. And then the greens, we found that. And for a little while, we thought maybe meat rabbits was the way to go, and that wasn't it. Meat we rabbits, I green. think, is good for food. I think just if you want to yeah. raise your own food, that's yeah. and it doesn't take up so much space, and you can use the rabbit shit. Yeah. And then, so the microgreens took off, though, and then it's just, so once you have that thing that gets you customers, it's just adding products and small revenue streams to that thing, to that, that model, you know? Yeah. So, like, I have a very small operation here, but I look at it now, and I go, man, if I had five to ten acres and I could hire a guy or two, then I could go into quail meat that does have a little bit of profitability there. I just don't have time to incubate all the time. And because to me, everything's consistency too. Because if you're not consistent, you're not doing it right. So like, you know, maybe I could do some some of the spin farming type methods with, with some other crops like beets and whatnot, because I know I have a market for that. I know I have a market for quail meat because I've been asked a thousand times for quail meat. <clears throat> I could go, I could up my chicken egg production because I do make money on that too. I just don't have room for more chickens and I don't like chickens. Um, and I, you know, just like what, what else can I add? And then really the compost end of it is an interesting thing. Cause I already go to all these restaurants and they all want me to take their compost <laughs> or their, you know, their stuff, their scraps. And if I had land to turn compost, you know what I mean? And then all the microgreens leftovers and then all the manure leftovers and all that stuff goes into a composting business, you know? Yeah. Do you just, so this- do you just feed your uh, microgreens to your birds? Your, uh, yeah, I was, I was for a while. When I was here, I was feeding them directly to the birds. Um, then it, production got so high that, like, uh, amazingly enough, the amount of soil that I was throwing down on the ground out back became a problem. <laughs> it started compacting with the duck, little duck feed all over it, you know? So uh, going into the spring, we're going to isolate where we put it down and just let them into it and start refeeding it again. Um, but, yeah, we were just doing that, and then we had to kind of stop because they basically – packed it down and made a pond <laughs> and it was not a good spot for that <laughs> I <was> like, Shit. <laughs> so <clears throat> we're gonna get back into that and then we're gonna do uh we're gonna try to start reselling our soil you know after because we just use it once for microgreens because of the risks involved in using it twice yeah um so i just we're gonna i'm gonna i actually un free range my chickens <laughs> which is like kind of on the surface you'd be like what so I'm going to do a, a dome style Texas prepper greenhouse for them for a coop and then a run that's covered a pretty good sized run that's covered. And it's going to be towards the front of my property so I can just dump the green spins in the, in there. Right. And give them all my other scraps and all my other compost stuff. And I'm going to, I got a couple guys that have clean lawns, like no anything sprayed ever that just want me to take their grass clippings. And then around here, we have all the oak leaves you could ever possibly want. 
I'm going to shred those and just the chickens are going to be little composting machines. And then I'm going to just sell them. I'm going to sell bags of soil on Craigslist to people that want to come pick them up. That's awesome, you know? man. Yeah. So, I mean, I figure if I can take my soil that I spend 10, 50, 11 bucks, you know, for a bag of soil <clears throat> and double the volume with the other inputs, you know, and then rebag it into the same bags, sell it for half the price. I'm, I write it. I negated my soil cost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So well, that's, and it's just another new stream. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, man, we're at, uh, this podcast is going to be about two hours long, so I think we can, we can wrap it up, but I'll have to get you on again, John. Uh, yeah, man. What's a, here. Yeah. What's a good, what's a good, uh, way for people to get in touch with you? So we are, we have our website, DowieFarm.com. Everything is Dowie Farm. So the website is DowieFarm.com. The Facebook page is at, is uh, Dowie Farm. It's, that's D as in David. It's like David Bowie, but with a D. <laughs> that's how you spell it. So D-O-W-I-E farm. No S at the end of farm. Um, and then we're on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, and my cell phone number is plastered everywhere. So <laughs> don't call. <laughs> just text, so, uh, don't call. Please don't just call me. Um, and then, But if you do want to get in touch with me, I'm very available. Messenger on Facebook is fine and that kind of stuff. Anybody has questions, I usually can answer um, within a day or two. And uh, like when I go and teach classes on this stuff, you know, I'm very accessible and I don't mind answering questions. I'm not going to answer 75 questions in a row, but you know, you have a couple of questions. Don't, don't be afraid. But uh, <clears throat> that's it. Unless you're in the new England area, therefore, then I will not answer any of your, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grow my uh, own competition. <laughs> so if you guys are in the new England area though, and you do want to buy eggs and microgreens from John Dowie, Sign up for his email list, and uh, he'll let you know how you can buy him from him soon. Yeah. I'm going to put that on the website, the uh, email list thing. I think I have that, but I don't know. I build my own website, too, occasionally here, so I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I, I, I source that out. Yeah, I just source that out, man, because I, I hate I, doing it. I could figure it out, but I just hate doing it. Yeah, I don't mind it. I used Wix. It was very easy. And uh, I don't know. I just was like, yeah, I can just slap this together, and okay. Like, my website doesn't look as good as it could, but the one I just did for the bar looks good. Whatever, I'm getting better at it. That's, you only have anyway, time. Well, yeah, I'm glad, we didn't, I'm glad we didn't have to get into politics. Yeah, man, maybe <laughs> next time we can get into politics if we want to, but this was more fun. Um, yeah. I'm kind of sick of politics, especially from Facebook. Like, it's Me fun too. to troll, but it just it's good. I get sick of it. Exactly where I'm at right now, man. I've been sick of getting called a Nazi right now. It's driving me <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm the, I'm, like I'm the op- bigot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, man, really? Like <laughs> name calling. Yeah, they defy logic for sure. Well, oh, everyone, if you like the show, let John know. If you have questions, let him know as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and John, thanks for joining me. Thanks, man. It's been great. Awesome.